G'day, Andrew Price here for another episode of the Blender Guru Podcast, the podcast where we talk about Blender. Uh, now, normally I would kick off this podcast talking about something benign like birds attacking me or, I don't know, s- spilling coffee on my keyboard, you know, something stupid. But <laughs> but this podcast, we're going to kick it straight off because we have on the phone right now None other than Gleb Alexandrov. Hi, Andrew. <laughs> and hi, everybody. So, uh, this is the second time uh, that you've been on the podcast. And uh, I think it, you said it was about a year ago we last yeah. spoke. It yeah. was exactly a year ago. Exactly. When you ago. said I should go to Blended Conference, and I make, made a promise. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I think I said, I'll see you there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I was not there, unfortunately. How did that go, by the way? How was your first Blender conference? Uh, it was bananas. You know, <laughs> it was the best, the best thing that happened to me in my whole life because I met so many interesting people and uh, very intelligent, by the way. I felt myself like a most stupid person there. Oh, really? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah. We had very interesting conversations with everybody, with Ton. Uh, with ID Burroughs and with uh, essentially, I love love the feeling of uh, talking to Blender heads and talking to uh, CG artists of all kinds. Uh, it's so interesting and so energizing. I'm just buzzing with ideas <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. for for my future uh, tutorials and for for everything because uh, talking to people is very energizing for me. Nice. Yeah, that's that's part of the. Uh, it's like it's one of the unexpected, like uh, surprises when it, when you go to a conference, is like the talks. You you don't get as much from the talks as you do from just like milling around at the coffee machine. You know, like just talking to people, <laughs> you know, and just bumping in and just. I don't know. I I find like did did you find when you went there you you found uh, like you had a lot of ideas for things like. By the end of it, your head's just buzzing with ideas of things to make and things to do. Yes, that's that was exactly the, uh, what I feel right now. I I just have to make uh, something in virtual reality because we discussed a lot of things uh, related to VR, to panoramas, and to all that stuff. And uh, before the conference, I never I never thought of doing it. And after mm. the conference, now I have so many different ideas. That, that, <laughs> That is mind blowing. What 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 VR stuff did they have there uh, this year? Uh, they they had um, a bunch of uh, Google cardboard mm. boxes uh, for free, actually, to cool. everybody. Cool stuff, and we were wandering around with that thing uh, in front of our eyes, and just go, <laughs> "Wow, that is fantastic! <laughs> oh, I, this is even better. Let's do something about it." And Sebastian uh, presented to us a new Sebastian Koenig, a new uh, application for Android uh, that that is related to virtual reality, and it was it was so cool. It was so cool. I instantly want to uh, to make something for it. I saw that. What was the name of it again for people listening? Uh, it it was called V Rays. V Rays. That's right. Yeah, I saw it actually just like yesterday. Somebody, I don't know. Somebody sent it. That was, what was the image? Somebody said, "Oh yes, one guy made a cool uh, 360 image," and I was like, "That's cool." Do you have any like software to uh, 
you know, preview it and yeah, posted that. Pretty cool, cool, cool stuff. Have you? Did you try um, uh, an Oculus Rift yet? Rift? No, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't. I heard a lot about it, and I want to try someday. Mm. Uh, and uh, that's on the radar right now. I want to try everything <laughs> related to uh, VR because. Uh, that is completely new topic for me, and um, a new set of challenges, new interesting stuff to learn, and that uh, that is very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. It's I, I find like VR is like um, it, it's at that weird period at the moment where it's like it's so new that you've got the opportunity to be the first person to do something awesome with it. And because there's not many people doing it, it's not a saturated market. So it's like, it's it's more likely to be seen now than it is, you know, if you made a cool 360 animation five years from now, you know. But at the same time, because it's so new, whenever you make something, almost nobody can actually see it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's like, you could make this awesome, you know, five-minute short film in 360 and, you know, maybe point zero zero one percent you know it would have that amount of reach compared to a standard video you know yeah there is some entry barrier but it is getting lower and lower uh for example you can upload uh the 360 videos or just uh, panoramas to youtube straight to youtube and uh youtube adds a header to it and it becomes an interactive experience and you can rotate the camera and so on i didn't Mm. knew it yeah, I saw Facebook's got that now as well. Yeah, yeah. It was like that. Uh, Have you seen that mm-hmm. Star Wars one? Yeah, <laughs> that that is the most uh, amazing yeah. of VR that Star Wars seen. You can rotate your head, and uh, it's a video of some vehicle. Very, yeah. very cool. That that hovercraft vehicle going through, uh, I don't know, Tatooine or whatever, and uh, it's like checking out the um, crashed destroyer from the uh the force awakens so uh i mean like perfect the absolute perfect uh topic to get it into the hands of so many people because uh i mean star wars right like who's not crazy (laughs) about star wars have you got tickets yet to go and see it yeah yeah i got ticket for uh 17th uh december already i bought it so i'm good to go (laughs) yeah i got mine for the uh the 18th uh the day oh. after, so I'm, I'm really hoping there's not like a huge spoiler in it that people jump on Twitter and go like, "Oh, Han Solo dies." Uh, <laughs> that would that would spoil it. Uh, yeah, that wouldn't be good. All right, I, I won't do it. Yeah, <laughs> and it won't just be me that would be annoyed. You would have a lot of people on Twitter. <laughs> a lot of people unsubscribed from my oh, Twitter. Absolutely. Insane. And a lot of new subscribers at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it'd be, it'd be a weird trade-off. Yeah. So what? So here's a question. Just jumping straight into it. What are you up to? <laughs> I know that's so vague, but it's like oh. nowadays I see a lot of your stuff popping up there. I watched your uh, steampunk big long tutorial. It was so so much content in there, and I was curious what. What is Creative Shrimp, your website? What is its plan? Where do you see it in sort of the next five years? I see Creative Shrimp as a place where artists go to learn the tips and tricks about computer graphics, art, composition, and all that stuff 
I see it as a place uh, we, where we can make a meaningful conversation and where aspiring artists will find the motivation and the inspiration for their own renders. And uh, in five years, I hope that it will grow. Mm. It will become better and better in terms of web design, of course, because I'm, I'm not so uh, confident when it comes to web design, to web programming. But I hope uh, I will partner with some people uh, or, or just commission some people who can make it better, actually. And mm. um, I hope to produce a lot, um, a lot more content. Of course, we all want to produce more and more and more and find time for it, find some funding. Hmm. And I even thought about uh, running a Patreon campaign for it. Oh, okay. But, but, yeah, that's, yeah. but that's a secret for now. But that's, a, but that's not a secret after I told you. <laughs> yeah, I was going to so, say, it's not a secret anymore. <laughs> yes, yes, we just spoiled it for everybody. Uh, <laughs> Explain to the folks at home what, what Patreon is. Uh, the Patreon is a crowdfunding um, website, uh, but not as in Kickstarter type of crowdfunding, where you uh, crowdfund the projects. Uh, in Patreon, you crowdfund the artists or musicians or uh, video filmmakers. Uh, you crowdfund people. Mm. So that's, content creators, uh, yeah. That's about, yes, that's about creating a steady income for content creators uh, that, that you love. Mm. So uh, Patreon is interesting possibility. Uh, I also thought about uh, selling stuff like a digital uh, stuff, like tutorials and so on, uh, in uh, larger tutorials. Um, for example, I thought about making a texturing DVD and selling it on Gumroad, on Blender Market, and so on. Uh, that Ooh. is another possibility for Creative Shrimp mm. uh, to monetize this whole thing. And um, I see the increase in traffic, and that is... A pretty encouraging thing for me. I see that a lot of people uh, actually uh, find t my tutorials helpful, and that is pretty much surprising for me because <laughs> I, thought, I thought that it's not very educational. You know, it's, <laughs> maybe it's a, a little bit entertaining, but not as much educational. But I really uh, met a lot of people, even at Blender conference, uh, who said that your tutorials are a bit helpful. It's okay. <laughs> uh, I, I met uh, people who teach uh, in schools and uh, in university, and they actually show my tutorials to their students. Wow. Uh, that, is, that is amazing. That is so good to hear it. Uh, it I'm smiling right now because it makes me a very happy person. Mm. Yeah. That is for Creative Shrimp. That is all uh, about education, mm. about sharing knowledge, about uh, creating a community. Mm. And what about for yourself? Do you, would you ever want to make a short film or are you just happy to be a tutor making tutorials forever? Of course, we all want to, to make our, <laughs> our dream I know, uh, that was a loaded to make question. <laughs> our dream game or uh, to create our dream uh, short film of some kind. We, I'm pretty sure that you have the, the, this project of your dreams that you want to uh, come true. And um, so that's a possibility too. But uh, firstly, I want to concentrate on producing uh, tutorials for now. Nice. Hmm. So you mentioned before um, uh, Gumroad. 
And uh, I wanted to go back to that because I know possibly a lot of um, artists listening might be interested in uh, some extra income, some extra revenue. And uh, I've noticed myself there's a lot of tutorials and content and stuff on uh, Gumroad. Uh, what what actually is Gumroad? <laughs> uh, Gumroad uh, is a way to sell your digital stuff online. Uh, it's very easy, actually, um, very uh, very convenient way to sell it because uh, it's just a, a form with a button. Mm-hmm. Uh, that says buy it, click on it, and, <laughs> and it um, forwards you to a PayPal checkout or something like that, and that's all. And um, so it's a very easy way to set up the payment system for artists, for uh, anybody who want to sell uh, digital stuff online. Hmm. Yeah, it seems like it's one of those uh, those services to get to to sort of open it to people that wouldn't normally have the um, resources to make their own website with a shopping cart and a distribution yeah, yeah. system, all that crap. And so check out and all that. Exactly, yeah. It's it's a lot of uh, annoyance um, to get it working. So Gumroad does it all for... Do you know what the... Because uh, it's always to do with the payout. Like, what do they... How much do they keep in royalties? Do you know that or... Oh, uh Actually, I, I saw it, but uh, right now I'm I'm not very sure what was the numbers. Right. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, definitely. Uh, for those of you out there listening that want to uh, maybe earn a few extra bucks, maybe it's a it's a good thing to check out. Perhaps I've uh, I've actually seen it a lot nowadays because I'm uh, getting into digital painting, and um, yeah, there's awesome like loads of tutorials and things that just. People that, yeah, like I said, that wouldn't normally be, you know, selling their own tutorials on how to do things, the processes of how they make a final image. Um, yeah, it's just loads of stuff on, on Gumroad, which is uh, which is pretty awesome to see. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So, but I'm curious, though. Uh, I mean, we don't have to just talk about money. This is our podcast. But it does, it, it does kind of lead into uh, another, you know, talking about lighting. Um, because I know that, yeah, talking about products, you've, you've been making a lighting book. Is it still called the open lighting book? Oh, it's, it's a working title. It's a working <laughs> title. I, sometimes I call it open lighting project. Uh, sometimes I call it just lighting project. Uh-huh. And, uh, sometimes I call it lighting book. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of a working, working title. Okay. And, um, later on I have to, uh, to, come up with something more more meaningful for the right. but i think for for now for now we can safely assume that lighting project is uh, is its title right for now lighting, just, lighting project. uh it's what is it this book lighting project uh is a manifesto of a think different approach to digital lighting for me uh it will help aspiring artists uh to take their cg lighting to the next level by embracing intuition and artistic perception uh, and uh, this book is pretty unconventional be- because uh, I won't talk much about shaders shaders and technical stuff uh, instead I'm t- uh, I'm, I will try to bridge the gap uh, between what you see in your life and what you create in computer graphics mm. so it will be about, uh, m- about the aesthetic experience 
and how you can reverse engineer what you see and what you feel. Hmm. This is interesting. That's that actually sounds like a fantastic book because we don't need another book on like technical, like how to set up a lamp in Blender. Like that is just boring. Everybody, you don't need that. But the actual, like how to make lighting that looks good, that you know looks like so many images you see online that just pop and are amazing, and you don't know why it looks amazing, but it's yes, usually exactly, to do with the lighting. Exactly, yeah. it's reverse engineering right. uh, because um, if, if when you see the picture and you go, wow. And uh, no matter what software the art, uh, artists use for it, uh, it's, it's more about vision. It's more about perception. It's more about uh, the way of thinking about lighting. Then, uh, then uh, uh, what I want to say is that technical stuff is important. Of course, you can't get away uh, with uh, not knowing how to set up an area light, but it won't take you to some next level in your uh, digital lighting. To, right. uh, to get this thing to, to the next level, you need to embrace your intuition. Right. And, yeah. and you need to develop uh, the artistic perception. And that is uh, the most important things when it comes to lighting. Right, yeah. And, and go beyond the three-point lighting setup. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Which is, it's, it's interesting because I've, uh, I've recently started looking at a bunch of... Um, yeah, like tips and techniques and things for lighting. And you can really tell looking out there that most people don't really have any idea. Like even the tutorials and the books that are written on it, like it's all, you know, the three-point lighting setup. The uh, Yes, yes, yeah. three-point lighting is everywhere. It's the, uh, it seems to be the backbone of every uh, <laughs> book about lighting is, is the fill the key and the hair light in yeah. various positions. It all comes to this because uh, this works in cinematography. This mm -hmm. works in Hollywood. And um, oftentimes we try to mimic uh, the look of the Hollywood movies and uh, of computer games. And they are all based on this paradigm of three-point lighting on having a, a strong subject in the center, like a model of some right, kind yeah. of character. And then you just position lights in, in various ways uh, to... Uh, to showcase it in the most compelling and beautiful way. Right, that is yeah. the paradigm of uh, CG lighting for some reason. And yeah. I want to break through. I want to make something different because mm. uh, really awesome lighting is not created with the light sources in different positions. It, it is created um, more with your eyes. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's how you see the scene and how you and how you operate your aesthetic experiences, how you can translate your feelings into some, uh, into some lighting schemes. Uh, but that is not uh, the way uh, we think about three-point lighting. Three-point lighting uh, is a, is, can be very boring. Yeah. And from what I've read, it seems like it's, it's, a, it's a carryover from the days when, um, yeah, basically like photography was a new thing. And like cameras and things like that and it was like they needed something to teach to students like in textbooks that would get them you know a passable image something that where it doesn't look like it's just completely dark and unlit and horrible to look at so the three-point lighting thing was like one of the easiest things to teach um but of course it's 
it doesn't result in, in very good lighting at all. Like, very rarely do you see a, a scene lit with, like, three-point lighting and you go, wow, love the lighting. Like, no. Nah. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's black. And, yeah, yes, uh, it's true. And oh, But when you try to uh, reverse engineer some scenes, uh, you come to the conclusion that three-point lighting is the thing that makes them work, but... Uh, when you start by thinking, oh, I will just position these three lights in some way, that don't work. Yeah, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's, it's, it's meaningless. Yeah. Uh, because it may turn out that you use three lights in the end. Right. But when you start with that, you, it's not effective. At, at least for me, it doesn't right. work. So here's the situation, right? Like, so let's say... Um Let's say I have a, a scene with, I don't know, a tank, and the tank is in a garage, and I, I, I forward you the dot .blend file, and I say, hey, Gleb, do you want to have a go at uh, lighting this scene? What, what would your creative process be for finding the best scheme, lighting scheme? Oh, that's an interesting question. Uh, that's a tricky question, <laughs> you know, because... <laughs> Um, uh, if, if, if I create my scene, I can start with some uh, picture in my head and then I just model everything and a texture and I set up lighting according to that initial image, mm-hmm. you know, and that all plays together, all that stuff, lighting, modeling and texturing. And when we dividing the workflow in the uh, separate processes like modeling and then uh, somebody else set up lighting, that may not work too uh, in that sense that uh, if, if I have initial uh, feeling, initial image, just like in a night highway scene, uh, you probably saw it uh, on, on my website, that's, that night highway. At first, I had, a, uh, I had an experience in my life where I went from Amsterdam to Vilnius at night mm-hmm. and I... And I just oh, was looking around, and I saw this distant light of a city, uh, that headlights of the cars moving, uh, passing by at 100 miles per hour. And I saw it all refracted in the tiny raindrops on the car windshield. Mm. And it was the initial impulse uh, that later on uh, turned out to be this type of scene. So it, uh, for me, it starts with that picture in my head, it starts with a feeling. Uh, but uh, returning to your tank, uh, if I were to uh, uh, to make a lighting setup for your scene, I would start with uh, finding uh, references and trying to imagine uh, what uh, what can it look like. Uh, for example, if if we t- if we talk about some uh, dusty cellars on uh, some environments, I will try to mimic uh, that look of a really, really uh, thick atmosphere, thick air, the dust floating in the air, and uh, I, I will try to recreate that uh, feeling first. So, mm. so it all works in terms of mood, in terms of atmosphere. I will aim at uh, some particular atmosphere. Mm-hmm. That is the workflow. And everything else uh, is just a pieces of puzzle that you need to, uh, to solve. You need right. to add a volumetric lighting. Uh, you need to tweak uh, all that stuff that relates to particles floating in the air and so on. 
and then you will play with the post processing and all that uh, all that stuff with that picture in in, in your mind hmm. of a du dusty dusty cellar with uh, floating particles in the air with volumetric lighting with light shafts and so on. So it starts with a mood, and then you're essentially drawing from a reference library in your head, basically, of uh, of things that could match that that sort of mood, right? So thinking of images of like like a dusty garage and sort of how you could create that. Is that sort of right? Yes, yes. It starts with a mood. It starts with or well, what I call aesthetic experience. Mm hmm. Hmm. And so how does it go when you don't have... Uh, well, I suppose, I, I guess, what, what if somebody out there doesn't have an idea of what what sort of thing matches their mood? Like, is it so you would just go online and just look at reference photos and go, that's the sort of mood I'm looking for, and then you just copy that exact thing? Or uh, Yes, yes, yes. You, you can look at references because uh, having a good reference is uh, always a good thing. Right. Uh, when you start something or when you uh, work uh, with uh, lighting, no matter what you do, having the good reference is a must-have. Yes. Um, you can you can imagine something if you uh, remember something very clear. Mm -hmm. And uh, but m m most often I try to uh, to find what I can on Flickr, on Pixabay, on any other website. I'll just uh, make a library of images. Uh, that matches uh, some aspects of uh, what I'm trying to achieve, and then I'm building upon it. Hmm. But first, first you collect the references. You, you're trying to understand how it works, how this setup will work for you, and uh, having a great reference is a must-have. Hmm. Do you ever do um, uh, a whole bunch of experimental styles? When you're you're trying to think of lighting, like I found myself like if you force yourself to say think of ten different light setups for a scene, and you have to find ten, you can't stop midway when you think one's good enough. Like it, um, it forces you to think of the scene in different ways and new possibilities. Do do you ever go through an experimental stage like that where you're just trying a bunch of things? Or yes, yes, uh, that, that's what I do actually. I experiment. Uh, all the time because uh, I think that when we experiment when we try something new uh, when we try to think out of the box that most interesting things happen and my next tutorial uh, in that lighting series will uh, can I tell it it will be focused on the, on the thing called lomography it's, it's a type of photography that is based on uh, basically on breaking your camera, on, on hacking the lens, so the light is uh, leaking in the camera body and creating the light leaks. Uh, it, uh, the film gets exposed, and it is the complete m genre of photography. It's a movement, uh, hmm. some kind of a hipster movement. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, it's based uh, on the. Uh, it's called lamography because of. Lomo LCA camera, a Soviet camera, very old and cheap, and producing the weird artifacts all over the uh, the film. And <laughs> uh, when students from Vienna found this camera, they discovered it, and they started making photos. And they looked 
so hipster <laughs> uh, <laughs> that uh, light leaks, the distortions, extreme optical distortions created by uh, by the shitty uh, lens and all this stuff. It it is very artistic in the sense. Right. So yeah. in the next tutorial, I try to mimic that look by breaking the virtual lens in Blender. Mm. I, <laughs> that sounds interesting. I try to uh, position a few lenses in front of a camera. So I'll try to, uh, to mimic the behavior of a real lens. And then I'll position uh, the, a bunch of light sources and deflectors in that way. So it creates a sort of a real light leak Ooh. in the camera. Nice. That, that sounds cool. That is very interesting. That transforms uh, every scene into something different. And right. that is very experimental. You can, uh, you can make this camera rig uh, with a broken lens and just travel around uh, your scenes and you will just take photos as the lamographers do and you will get something very unexpected uh, with the crazy colors, uh, with the crazy distortions and that is so amazing to, to be able to experiment and to see the results on the fly wow. uh, in, yeah. in the cycle's viewport. Hmm. It's, it works like a real process of photography. Nice. That sounds really cool. I'm definitely, definitely going to be checking that out. Is that, uh, do you use um, the film settings in, uh, you yes, did a tutorial yes. on that. I use, I use a film emulation a lot, yeah. a lot. I, and I use a, uh, crazy RGB curves on top of it in the color management tab uh, to m mimic uh, the various film looks hmm. of an overexposed, of a bad film uh, that just complements the way uh, that that camera rig that I have talking about, uh, it complements the way it works. Right. Because when you, when you can emulate uh, the film uh, that compresses the highlights, uh, that um, washes out the shadows, mm. and all in all, it produces very authentic-looking stuff uh, that looks like an old photography, that looks <laughs> like lomography. Yeah. You can definitely do some really cool stuff with that. Like, I think it's one of the most underlooked areas of Blender is that, that film section. Uh, for, the, for the folks at home that have no idea <laughs> what we're talking about, it's if you go to the render panel and then you... Oh, wait, not the render panel. <laughs> Where is it now? Oh, it's a color ma management tab in uh, environment settings. Uh, oh, yes, there it is. So the third tab from the left, the scene tab, and then it's in color management, and then it's the, uh, disp no, the view. Oh, yeah, the view. I don't understand oh. those views, like film, raw, <laughs> log, RRT. And I'll tell you something, I don't think anybody does. <laughs> I've, looked all, up, I've looked up the, stuff online works trying to like, find an answer. like a camera row mod, just uh -huh. it. The Nothing else does. Yes. And the other stuff, I, I actually don't understand what log means. Log, log, logarithmic, maybe, but or how it works, I can't quite get it. But raw, isn't, wouldn't the default render from Blender be technically raw? Because it is that, I don't know, I'm getting into some weird stuff. That <laughs> linear path, you know, where you've got a lot of exposure, leeway. Like, what would switching it to raw do? 
Actually, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> might be might be the default uh, render color man- uh, Blender color management uh, is applying some some kind of a tone mapping, the default tone mapping to it, and the raw mode is uh, just uncompressed HDR image without any tone mapping at all. Ooh, you could be right. Yeah. And then film, which, yeah, I don't know. We're, we're getting into some very dense very te- topics for, stuff. for listening. Maybe it's not but so I'll, great. I'll, I'll recommend everybody to try film emulation. Mm. Because it adds uh, that vintage touch to your renders. It's, it looks like a real film in some cases, and that is very encouraging. Yeah. And not just that, so so that that what we've been talking about, raw log, that's in the view setting, but then right underneath that there's looks. And then you've got what looks like about a hundred <laughs> of uh different presets for Agatha, Color, Futura one hundred, like different film like Kodak Gold, Max Zoom, all these different settings. Uh which honestly they all look so different from each other they might as well just have like letters like a b c d (laughs) which would actually be more helpful to me i think because i always like i find one i like and i'm like oh that's cool and then i try and find it again i lost it (laughs) no idea where it went and you can scroll through them using control and mouse wheel oh you can oh there it is that's very convenient yeah you know what? Because I was going to submit a feature request. I was going to embarrass myself. And I was going to say, why don't you have a left-right button next to the uh, the thing? Because yeah. that, that, that exact problem, like you've got the uh, the render up up on display there, and then you, uh, you have to click and open up this huge drop-down menu, find where it is, then go back to your image. And I thought, this is stupid. But that, and I would like to submit the request to just <laughs> add a button to save a preset, to save your own presets, because oh, that's, yeah. without that uh, function, it's uh, almost meaningless when you can't create your own uh, set of uh, tweaks to RGB curves, uh, enable film emulation, for example, tweak gamma, and s- uh, save that in the preset. That will be right. very convenient for people. Yeah, you're right, actually. That's... Because they've got that for the camera. Like, you can do a render preset, and it's got those little plus and minus buttons for your render presets, which I don't think anybody's ever used in the history (laughs) of Blender. Like, who cares about that? Like, that's... You don't need to be that precise with a... Like, how long does it take to change these settings to the correct one? Whereas that, the color management, where it's so fiddly, having a preset makes a lot more sense. But, then we can make a preset library and distribute it. For example, film looks of some oh, kind. Yeah. Uh, that would be interesting. Sell it on the blender market. Yes. Make some money. Are you- yes, I've, I've just spoiled another, another project. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, uh, have you thought of selling stuff on the, uh, on the market? Or do you already sell stuff on the market? about a bunch of different things at once you know and and the blender markets is one of them uh it's it's a nice opportunity i think to sell your stuff if you're making uh some assets for blender and uh, so that's what i want to try in the future too right what do you what do you say to this i don't know why i would get into this but i thought it would be interesting you know how there are some people that think like 
the Blender market is is the worst thing for Blender because it means that all this great stuff that would normally be in Blender by default, an open source program, is now behind a paywall. And there are people that are against, you know, selling things like an add-on. Uh, what do you, what do you, what's your opinion on that kind of thing? Uh, my opinion is that it's all right to have markets where you can sell stuff and where you can buy stuff. It's about, uh, it's about not about just sharing uh, stuff for free because uh, if we have market, it doesn't mean we can, cannot share our stuff if we want to. Uh, market means that we have a healthy ecosystem where we can uh, have creators working full time to sell uh, the quality assets. Um, for example, we have a bunch of uh, free game engines like Unreal Engine that is essentially free, um, Unity, and these game engines have their own marketplaces where. Uh, huge huge crowd sells the stuff and uh, that is a good thing yeah because it makes the whole system work a lot more um uh, in a lot more meaningful way when we have means of monetization uh, work of people right and i think it it's it's creating stuff that wouldn't normally exist without it which I think yes. is what yes. the uh, opponent, proponents to it don't understand. They assume that when you see an add-on, which is amazing, and it's priced at $20, they assume that if it wasn't for this site, Blender Market or whatever, if it wasn't for this thing, this add-on would be free. But no, the answer is if it wasn't for Blender Market, this add-on it wouldn't would exist not exist at all. <laughs> exactly. Which is what I think a lot of people aren't aren't really understanding. It's like like your book. You know, if you didn't plan to sell it, you probably wouldn't have put so much effort, or maybe yes, even yes. written the thing. You know, uh, it's a motivation too when you know that you can uh, sell stuff and you can uh, make a living <laughs> creating the stuff you want to create. Yeah, uh, that's that's very meaningful stuff for for people who work in the creative. Um, field like uh, computer graphics and music. We all need our means uh, to sustain our businesses. Yeah, exactly. We need we need some bread. We got to put something on the table. We got to got to uh, pay the taxes and pay yeah, the exactly. Yeah, we got to make some money so we can pay the taxes on that money, and uh, <laughs> so we can continue creating free stuff for everybody and share it on our websites. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, yeah, like some people are like, why? Because I've said, I've said people are not, not so much nowadays, but they're like, why are you selling, you know, grass essentials? Why not give it away for free? It's like, well, for one, it wouldn't exist if it was free. <laughs> and two, don't you like free tutorials? Yes. Well, if you like free tutorials, I got to pay my rent, you know? <laughs> so... You know, like, I, yeah, the, the, the expense, the price of free tutorials is, uh, is, it's paid for by the people that actually buy the things, the plugins and add-ons and things. But, yeah. Yes, uh, by the people most, who buy the things or by the people who, um, who support the creator on Patreon or on Gumroad on, or uh, on some other place. There are various means of uh, monetization stuff, but we need somehow to pay the rent. That yeah, is the main right. thing. 
Yeah, they they should think of it like like the Blender Foundation getting donations. Like it's it's a donation to the site that you get tutorials from, but you get a reward for it. So you you spend fifty dollars, you get an add-on, you know, and that is basically a donation to keep the free stuff coming, essentially. Yes, but, or you pay for additional uh, support and uh, content and tutorials, like on Blender Cloud, where they have a art gallery, a new new kind of thing. Uh, where you can d- uh, download all the assets, all the uh, uh, blend files of the works that are featured in that gallery. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, but, but, you could but also Blender just think Cloud of it like is a paid, uh, uh, paid site, so you have to subscribe, and it's ten dollars a month, and mm. then you will have an access for that whole uh, library of assets, of textures, and whatever else. Yeah. Yeah, it's you're paying for good content essentially. You don't have to think of it like a donation either. It's like you want to learn how to do that thing. Well, here's a tool which will get it there faster. Anyway, it sounds like very negative, but most ninety nine point nine percent of uh, the community is very nice, I think. But that point one percent really is quite loud and obnoxious. But anyway, <laughs> that happens sometimes. It does. It does. So we shouldn't we shouldn't lament on them. Most of you out there are fine, fine folks. Who we love doing business with, don't we, Gleb? With, uh, what about business? <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, like, we, we like, we like, ah, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. All right. All right, so here's a question which uh, I, w- I always like asking pros this because I honestly, I, I feel like this, it happens in any project, any any time I'm making a piece of artwork, this always happens, where you've been working on something for ages, and you're in that last ninety five percent of the of the image. Like it's most of it's done now, but for whatever reason, something about it just doesn't look quite right. Like it doesn't have that zing, doesn't have that wow factor. <laughs> you know, that's a book. Yes, yes. Uh, it doesn't have that, you know, that thing that's just really going to make it pop and go, wow, you know, how, what, what is it that you do to get it there? Uh, the first thing that I do in that kind of situation is just I do something else and don't look mm. at that image for a few days. I have, a, I have actually a bunch of images that are waiting their time. Uh, so, so I can get, uh, I can refresh, refresh my vision, and then, then again, uh, I will see what I need to do uh, to break through that barrier and to push uh, that image to the other side of awesomeness uh, to make it look much better. Because good is not enough. You need to wait a bit, and then, and then probably, in my case, I always realize that this image needs a lot of work. I've, I thought that it's almost finished, but it's not. And I need mm. to spend a few more days on, um, on re, 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 reworking some bits of it, uh, adding some stuff. And, uh, but you, first you need to refresh your vision. And uh, in, case, in, in case you were working uh, for a week on project, I recommend to leave it aside for a few days and then return to it. Mm. That is solid advice. I like that. Hmm. Leave it. Give, just, it. give it some air. Yes. Let it or you can just flip the canvas horizontally. If you. Ah, oh, that's time. another good trick. Say that again. Uh, 
to refresh revision, you can flip the canvas or flip the camera view in Blender uh, horizontally. Right. Oh, wait, you can do that? Yes, yes, you can do that. You can... Um, what wait you can, a minute. Camera. So you're looking through the camera and you can hit... Yes, Control m Control m Oh, x, my goodness. X, and X two times after Control m Oh, I didn't you, know you could do that. Yes, what? and you flip the camera view horizontally. It's a very, very nice trick to refresh your vision while you're working on something. And you can and flip it vertically with Z. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I don't yes, know why you'd want that. This <laughs> uh, vertically uh, is a very exotic way to flip, <laughs> flip uh, the, the camera view. But horizontal flip, I do it all the time. I work half uh, of the time with the camera flipped. So I won't uh, get blind. So huh. I will see my image and see what I'm doing. So what, does it, what do you think that does, that flipping? Like it just uh, makes it look like something new you've never seen before? Like tricks your eye or something? Uh, wh- wh- when you're looking at the same uh, image over and over again, uh, you just getting blind and you don't see the compositional flows anymore. And mm. to, get a, to get a fresh view uh, and to, to be able to evaluate the composition, you need to flip it actually. To, so it will appear to you, to your brain, as a new image. Hmm. And when you see something for the first time, uh, you, the first impression is very powerful. You notice all the things that you won't notice otherwise. You notice that uh, the balance is, um, is not working. You may notice that uh, the focal point, you need to move it to some other place. Uh, you may notice uh, that you, can, uh, you need to remove something to restore the balance of the masses hmm. in the image uh, and all, all kind of stuff. Hmm. This is, uh, yeah, I've definitely, because here's the thing, like, I've known about this, well, not, not that trick, control MX, whatever, but like flipping the image. So you take it into Photoshop and flip it or whatever. And I think I've even given that as advice in past podcasts. <laughs> here's the thing. I don't think I've ever actually done it myself. It's, <laughs> but now you will. And now I feel now I feel like I get it. Like that that makes I it's like um like those old plasma TVs, how they had that burn in rate, like if it's <laughs> sitting on an image for too long, then it burns into the uh into yes, the screen. Yeah. It's kinda like, like that for your eye, isn't it? It's like you forget that you 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 really you're not you're not thinking straight. You're kind of getting drunk on your own image. You gotta <laughs> you gotta get sober by flipping it. Or, as you said as well, just give it some time, walk it off, give it a few days. <laughs> Another thing that you can do uh, to accompany these effects of flipping the canvas, you can make it uh, black and white. You can desaturate the image. And I would love to see that function implemented in Blender uh, in Color Management tab. So uh, we can not only tweak the RGB curves, uh, but it would be nice if we could uh, desaturate the image. Because seeing it in black and white is another very, very cool trick uh, to get a fresh view. Ooh, that is good as well. I like and that. You could, and you can, on top of it, of the little secret, and you can blur the image and then just squint your eyes a little bit so you see the oh, blurry yeah, I like that one. outlines yeah. of, uh, of an object so we will get uh, the impression of what does it look like 
in terms of uh, weight, weight. I mean, a visual weight of um, uh, what uh, in terms of mass. Right. Of yeah. Blacks and whites and how it interacts with each other. That light and shadow. If if you view it in black and view, a uh, black and white and blurred image. Right. Yeah. It's. Uh, I remember Ton mentioned that on Twitter. He said it was. Uh, he called it the the squint test, which I think yes. is a great name. <laughs> And it's, yeah, literally squinting your eyes and seeing, um, it's, it's one of, it's like, it's hard to personify what exactly you're looking for, but it's like, geez, what, what actually are you, are you looking, you're looking for like a focal point, right? Like something that stands out, a clear, I don't know. No, uh, I, I would say that you're looking for a, uh, for a big shapes. Uh, you're looking at the general shapes rather than uh, details because details, uh, they can distract mm. the attention. Uh, and when you look at uh, the bigger shapes, you, you get a better idea of what composition does look like. Mm. That's a great advice, by the way. I like it. <laughs> That's yeah. perfect. Of course, the big shapes. Yeah. So we all start with uh, our composition with uh, outlining the big shapes, and then we move uh, move on to detailing stuff. So by blurring our comp- our image, we can return to that initial stage and evaluate the shapes. Hmm. Sorry, you you can't see me right now, but I've got my eyes completely squinted just looking at things. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I just I just had a weird thought. Like, what if you chopped off your eye lashes? Like, if you squinted your eyes, would it actually be blurry? <laughs> I don't know why. Going it off will, top. It will. It will because it relates on a, a focus focus of your eye. It's a depth of field implemented right into your brain, into your eyes. But isn't it to do with it looking through your eyelashes, which is causing that fuzzy blurriness? Uh, it's just a post-processing on top of uh, depth of field. <laughs> and uh, and by the way, by the way, eyelashes create so many different lighting effects uh, because when you squint your eyes, for example, if imagine this situation: the snow is falling and the street lamps are shining bright, and if you squint your eyes a little bit, you will see that giant light streak, that lens effect on your eyelashes. In that situation, it will look like a vertical streak of light. And you almost never notice it. But when you do, you will never forget. And <laughs> when, when, when you squint your eyes, you notice all kind of different things. But wait, is that what, what causes that, that, that glare? Is it the eyelashes? Uh, it's, it's the light diffracted through the eyelashes. Is that true? Because wouldn't it be all wonky? Because your eyelashes aren't like... So if you chop off your eyelashes, you won't notice that beautiful lens flare effect in your eyes. Yes. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) I like picking your brain. That's cool. Um, Well, here's another question for you. You mentioned um, you love Pixabay. I know that. Pixabay is great. Yes, Pixabay is great. Flickr is another great, great one for looking at uh, reference and 
interesting images, better than what you'd find off Google Images. That's, that's good. Yes, because Twitter any- is a community of photographers, of professional photographers, as well as very talented amateur photographers. And uh, Flickr has a great range, a, a great selection of photography. Right, yeah. And I find it as well, like a little tip using Flickr, if you sort by interesting instead of relevant, then yeah, you get straight to the really good stuff. The stuff that... Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's got a bunch of st- that everybody favorites and everybody uh, replies. I didn't hear and- about it. Yeah, so if you sort by, uh, yeah, by well, that's interesting. very interesting. And yeah, you can it's- s- as well. You, you can sort um, on. Um, you can pick only the Creative Commons type of uh, photos. For oh, example, yes. you can search yeah. only by Creative Commons. But what I found uh, slightly embarrassing on Flickr is that you cannot. Um, you don't have. Uh, Creative Commons zero license. Or oh, how is it called? Yes. Creative yes. Commons by. CC zero, yeah. Oh, yes. they're, they're one, yeah. CC by, like 3.0 essentially, or something. Essentially, you have to, uh, to, uh, to give a credit to the author of the photo in any case. So you yeah. just don't have that, uh, that very convenient uh, Creative Commons zero license. You don't have yeah. that option at all. Yeah, I don't know what to do with, like, whenever I see a CC BY one, like, I deliberately avoid it. Yes, because bad. you would have to uh, to attribute, to yeah. uh, to give like credit. wherever you post it. Like, if you share, like, because then what? If you share it on Twitter, it's like, what? Here's my new artwork. Uh, background photo by... Uh, Peter Markenroth, whatever of Flickr, like like, and what? then you paste paste the, the link to Flickr yeah, page, and exactly. you can, and you need, you must write uh, after it that it's used under this uh, CC license and the type of license and uh, the link, and you must point that it's modified by you or unmodified. Uh. So it's the whole lot of uh, embarrassing stuff, and I. And I hate the type of stuff that you just have to do if yeah, you stupid. want to use the Creative Commons images. Pixabay, yeah, so what? Pixabay, there we go. Yes, that's what we love about Pixabay, that every image essentially is free. And free not only uh, in the sense that you don't need to pay for it. Uh, it's free that you can use it and don't worry about... Um, uh, about the thing that you mentioned, that you will need to attribute it, you still uh, can uh, uh, credit the author. And I do it a lot of times. But if you feel uncomfortable with it, you don't have to do it. That's right. brilliant. Yeah, I love it. It's, it's essentially, it's like that photo now becomes yours. It's like you can actually do whatever you want with it. Like, as far as I know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you could actually download a photo download 20 of them off Pixabay, zip them in a folder, and then sell them on Gumroad, right? Yes, yes. And uh, technically, you can sell Blender. <laughs> you can sell... Oh, that's true enough, yeah. Uh, uh, Anders movie, I don't know, Sintel and everything else. But um, that's not the kind of thing that we need to wor- worry about because um, we live in, uh, in culture where sharing is an uh, actually normal thing. And it will get... Uh, more free as the time goes, because yeah. everything becomes uh, becomes uh, different and becomes free. Um, a few years ago, no game engines, 
like Unreal and Unity were free. And now everything just moves in that direction. Yeah. Because absolutely. knowledge and uh, digital stuff, it tend, tends to be free. Yeah. That's how culture works. Uh, because we don't produce original content. <laughs> our photos and our uh, texts and uh, anything else is based on some text by other people. We all live in culture. Yeah. It's it's so weird, like, what you said then about, like, yeah, the information, like, as time goes on, it becomes more free. That's that's so, uh, it's so true. Like, um, there's a story of, um, I don't know the year. I would get the dates wrong if I started quoting things. But <laughs> many years ago, you know, 200 BC or whatever it was, um, there was a guy, who, I think in Egypt, again, that could be wrong, but he came up with um, uh, the process for creating aluminium, um, mm-hmm. which was the basically it would make gold and silver um, much less needed because essentially if you wanted a plate or you wanted something that you know was hard and needed structure to hold things, you would have to create you know you would have to get gold or silver. So I believe he came to a king or he came to a something or other and he showed this process like look what i've made it's aluminium and he didn't call it that he called it something weird he said this is aluminium and the king went uh i you're the only one who knows about this and he's like yep <laughs> and they're like kill him <laughs> like seriously they executed him and uh, um that's pretty normal normal for inventions and yeah. for science and it wasn't for another 300 years or something until aluminium was created again, until somebody else um, figured it out as well. Isn't that weird? Like, it's yes. absurd to think about today. Like, like that thing. Like, I mean, you've told me a couple of things on this podcast already. Like, control M, you know, like, to flip the camera. <laughs> it's like, control M, it's like... You you should be like back in those days. You'd hold on to that like it was like it was gold. Like that's information, and that if you tell someone, it's no longer valuable. Whereas nowadays, we don't even think about it. We're just like, yeah, just share it. Just tell somebody else. It's a cool thing, you know. And on the contrary, now when you tell somebody uh, something, it becomes more valuable because right. it will make uh, the whole system better. Right. Because yeah. uh, when we um, when we share the knowledge with each other, we become better. And we build a better world. Mm, right. Not, not immediate uh, growth or whatever. Immediate payout. But over yes. a long term, the whole system improves. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and the process goes pre- pretty fast. Because uh, all that internet stuff, it wasn't invented a few, a few years ago. You know, it's not, <laughs> a, not a long time history-wise. <laughs> It's a short, very short period, and that explosion of knowledge, it can't be stopped yeah. by some licenses and so on. Isn't it scary to think, like, how recent... Like, I was just, just like the other day, I was in the shower, and I was just like, yeah, the internet is pretty much everything that anybody ever knows or talks about anymore. Like, it is, basically, it's life <laughs> in a really depressing way. The internet yes. is what... It's the fabric of society. And yet, 
Good grief. Like, our parents lived in a time when there was no internet. We, basically. How, how old are you, Gleb? Uh, I'm 27, I guess. Oh, or maybe here. 28. Yeah, no, I'm 27. It's all right. Yeah. I get confused as well. I think I'm 27 or 26. I don't know. But, yeah. It... I feel like I'm 17, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, like, when we were kids, like... I remember the first time, um, my first experience with the internet, I was a, a little a little whippersnipper, a little toddler, or I don't know, maybe a little older than a toddler. But I remember I came to the uh, to the office where my dad was, and he was on the family computer, which was this, uh, you know, beige-looking huge box, probably had, you know, 16 kilobytes of RAM or whatever. And he was playing chess online. Uh-huh. And it was the newest thing, and it blew my mind. And he was playing it with a guy in Canada, and we were in Australia, obviously. And I remember just thinking, like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you telling me that that move that he just made there was made by a guy all the way on the other side of the world? And my dad's like, yep. And uh, and then at that moment, there was a guy that joined the chat room (laughs) and just started swearing. (laughs) <laughs> and uh and like my dad and the other guys like hey careful here there's children in the chat room you know and it's funny like looking back on it like straight away people realized the benefits of internet anonymity and was just like oh i can say mean and nasty things and nothing bad happens <laughs> yeah it was a big cultural shift going on yeah it's it's crazy. And now it's like, good grief, we're all just so connected with our, uh, like, like, I feel like it, like, you don't want to send your phone to get repaired, because then you might not have it for 24 hours. You know, it's like, what would I do if I couldn't have my phone connected with me, basically as a as an extra body part? Yes, an it's an augmented, augmented reality type of thing. That it is going to uh, just become the internet is a layer on top of our life, and yeah. it is uh, just uh, we can't live without internet anymore because it is what makes uh, what makes our our conversation going on. You know, right. we, we 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 are chatting with you. I'm sitting here in Belarus and you in Australia and we are chatting to produce a podcast yeah on the internet and when I think about all it all of those uh, words would have meant nothing 20 years yes, ago <laughs> yes. that, that, that would sound like an insanity yeah. what are you doing I'm yeah. chatting with Andrew from Australia and uh, yeah. now it sounds very very normal yeah. uh, that is an uh, opportunity for us and for for a humankind to uh, to produce a new types of uh, communications and to to to, to make I, I will repeat that sentence to make the world a better place. Yeah, to, and that is related to all that uh, uh, stuff with licenses and with the free sharing of knowledge. And uh, internet made knowledge free. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It really. It really did. I think libraries did as well, maybe before the internet, but that was a localized uh, freedom, I guess. 
But, yes, uh, localized and uh, and somewhat limited because um, in uh, not everybody have access. Oh yeah, <laughs> to, of course. Yeah. To, to anything. Yeah. And in the internet, pretty much we're living in a global village, as a American journalist Marshall McLuhan called it, a global village. Oh my goodness! Where did you pull that? That Mar- who? Marshall, fam- <laughs> Marshall McLuhan. <laughs> Yes, pretty pretty famous uh, journalist. Uh, he was a uh, he was a talking about uh, communication in our world and how uh, the uh, communication changes the way we live and the way we interact with each other. And he he produced that concept of a global village. Who? And it's pretty interesting read. It is. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, it's one of those things which is like. Maybe on the top, it's on the list somewhere of maybe one day I'll learn about how, you know, the real impacts of the internet or something. That sounds interesting. And it's like, nah, I'll look at funny cat videos instead. (laughs) (laughs) One day, one day I'll, uh, I'll smarten up. But for now, let's watch this cat Unbeatable. unbeatable. Yeah, I know, right? And help watching it when I stumble across one and just click automatically. Uh, it's 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 very engaging experience every time because I know I think if you if you scroll down Facebook and you see a, a glimpse of a little moving video of a of a cat running across the, the tiled floor it's like you're you're gonna stick around to see what happens is he gonna run into the wall is he gonna collide with his water bowl and uh, wear it you know it's like this is this is going somewhere I'm gonna stick around. <laughs> Usually they jump into the boxes of some kind. It's, oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's a normal behavior for cats. That's always good. Yep. That's a how, to, how to trap a cat. Just put <laughs> the box and wait a bit because they will jump into it. And so it's very interesting. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that, actually. Like a couple of hours ago, uh, I was having lunch uh, with my wife, Chloe. And um, anyways, we just hear this like... And I was like, oh, like, that must be, you know, where, where's Teddy, which is the name of my cat. So I, like, get up and I'm like, Teddy, Teddy, where are you, Teddy, Teddy? And I'm walking all around the house. And I couldn't find him anywhere. I was like, Teddy, come on, where are you, Teddy, come on. And, and then he's just like, Meow. and I'm like, where is that coming from? And I, I, I stood, like, right next to the, this, like, this door to go outside and I heard it. And I'm like, he must be outside. And so he's an inside cat. He's never been outside <laughs> his whole life. So I'm like, oh, no, he's outside. He's going to get run over by a car. So I, like, open the door, and I'm running outside. I'm like, Teddy, where are you, Teddy? You know? Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, running around everywhere. And then uh, so I'm, like, banging his food bowl. Like, Teddy, come on, show yourself. Come on, where are you? And then, uh, and then I hear it, like, right next to my head. And uh, he was in the cupboard. Like... <laughs> so my wife had uh i don't know she was doing some cleaning or something so she was getting the cleaning products out and he just jumped in the cupboard because it was a you know a dark box and he's like "Ooh, let's go in here and then my wife didn't even realize it and just closed the door on him but uh yeah anyways good times yeah, good interesting times. things happen to, <laughs> to our cats all the time mm. <laughs> maybe we just oh we, we we need to switch to filming cats all oh, right, as a business, Boston, we, yes, we'll have uh, ten times more subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing: I've realized, like, there are some things that people 
like that is actually not profitable. Like you will never, ever, I think, get paid for a cat video. Like if you filmed your cat doing something funny and you tried to put it up behind a paywall and said, watch my cat trip over a basket or something, nobody's going to pay for that because it's reached the point where it's like, there's so much free stuff out there. You, if you today started watching funny cat videos, I don't think you'd ever finish it because more would be uploaded during the time you're watching it and it would just continue for infinity. So no, you're, you're never actually going to, uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know why I'm going on this tangent, but <laughs> what you said then, like about how there is some stuff which seems really popular. I feel like yes. it's popular, but it's never profitable. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I don't know why I went on that tangent. <laughs> All right, let's get back to uh, let's get back to you. Actually, I'm curious what what does a typical day look like for Gleb? So here is my day. I wake up. Mm. I prepare coffee. And then that's I take close. take a big sip out of the cup of coffee like that. <laughs> okay. And then I just proceed to the rest of the day. <laughs> it sounds like coffee is the main event. <laughs> it sounds like you only remember the coffee. The rest of it's a blur. Uh, yes, the rest is just just some kind of a trip. And uh, <laughs> do I, I, I do nothing for a half of the day. Okay. Just, I, I suppose that it's my uh, normal kind of thing. I just do nothing. I... Uh, try to think of some things. I play guitar and I, I just go for a walk. And oh. uh, that's a normal routine for me to do absolutely nothing related to computer graphics. And for the rest of the day, I start uh, at 1 p.m. Do you and really? Then, yes, yes. Wow. I, I start at 1 p.m. and so on Is- to work, actually. And is that is that uh, for any particular reason, like to no, no, clear no. your mind or something, or you just no, no, it just it just happens. It just happens. <laughs> it's the way it Accidentally. works. Accidentally, yeah, okay. I can't change anything about it. Uh, maybe if I have a, a deadline that is looming on me, mm-hmm. then I can switch to more uh, productive kind of scheme. But uh, usually, I just do nothing. Then starting at 1 p.m. until the midnight or 2 a.m., i just working. I'm working hard. I, I, I do anything that I need to do. I, I write uh, the, some new parts for the book. I just um, make new renders. Uh, if I have some projects going on, I do my projects. I open Blender and that kind of stuff. That starts usually at 1 p.m. and ends when I just fall asleep. Hmm. Wow. That sounds, uh, that's very unique, uh, starting at one. Definitely the benefits of working for yourself, I guess, right? Yes, yes, yes. And there, there are days that I don't work at all. But <laughs> <laughs> Days where you get absolutely nothing finished. Yeah, yes. I have those days, but I'm actually at work and I still get nothing done. <laughs> Uh, procrastination is a is a big big thing yeah, in my I life. Know. I love to procrastinate, but I, at the same time, I hate myself when I procrastinate too much. Yeah, and I bet not... you know that feeling that you don't don't work, but you have to, and you understand that you'd better do something, but you just cannot. 
I know. Like, you feel broken. It's like, I've got stuff to do, and yet I just can't get into gear where I'm getting... Yes, yes. You listen to some music, and it's, 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 it's a guilty pleasure to do nothing. Then you have to do something. Yeah, make myself the fifth cup of tea for the morning. And I'm just like, oh, I guess I'll go make another cup of tea after I make just finish that cup of tea, and then I'll get started. And it's just, uh, or you, or here's the biggest one, and it might as well be classed as procrastination because it, I mean, it basically is. It's like you're doing work, busy work, work that, and emails is a, is a great one. Emails very, very, very rarely is ever actually getting anything done, as some other authors have put it much better than I have. It, it's, it's basically, it's, uh, what is it? It's, it's letting go of your own goals in order to achieve other people's goals, like meeting their expectations of you. Like Gleb, if I send you an email and I say, Hey Gleb, yes, what do you yes. think of such and such a thing? I would expect a reply, which is rude of me. Like what, who am I to expect that you should give up part of your day to do this thing for me. And yet we do it all the time. And we get emails like that constantly from people asking things or they want this or maybe it's just a request. Hey, I didn't get that that invoice for the tax thing. And oh, you got to answer, you got to do that. And it's, at the, and you've got things that you actually need to do. You, you know, you've got a product, you've got a book that you want to write, Gleb, you know, things that are on your really to actually getting things done. Yes, that, so so it's it's much better to concentrate on one thing at a time and to concentrate on uh, the high priority things and leave that um, email work for um, uh, schedule some hour for it in the evening, for example, mm-hmm. when you just uh, go through the emails and, and stuff. But uh, when you work on some important main thing. It's the most productive time, at least for me. It's the most productive way to do things, to concentrate all the efforts, to put all the efforts in one particular stuff that needs to be finished. Right. Yeah. The trouble that I find, like, is that that what you just said, like, um, like finding that block in order to get things done, is uh, it's hard to get into that mode because you often think of all the other things you need to do. And that is that's that's where you end up in that perpetual getting nothing done because you're thinking of twenty things you need to do whilst you're trying to get this one thing done, and as a result, you end up doing bugger all, just yes. uh, bouncing what we, around. What you want, what you want to say is that multitasking sucks, and I <laughs> agree with you because multitasking indeed sucks. You need to concentrate uh, your efforts uh, into one thing. Right, so yeah. that's that's the most important piece of advice that we can give to anybody who wants to make anything. Just right. focus. Yeah. It's it's hard to uh it's good advice, I agree, but like it's hard to actually put that into practice. Focus. Uh, yes. Yeah. There's a great book though for for the folks at home, um manage your day to day. Build your routine, find your focus, and sharpen your creative mind, it says on the cover. Um, <laughs> it's a great book. It's like eight bucks on Kindle or whatever. Um, and it talks a lot about that, like what I mentioned about email and all that kind of thing. 
Um, so check it out if you are looking to be more productive. Uh, and the other book is called The One Thing. And there is the a website. The, the website that is called theonething.com. Theonething.com. One is the number in that. Uh, oh, theonething.com. Let's see here. What is, what is this one thing uh, It's about? written by Gary Keller, New York Times bestselling author. It's, it's about actually focusing your attention to doing just one important thing. Hmm. This looks like a good book. Huh. It's, it's a brilliant book. It's a brilliant, amazing book. Just I recommend it to anybody. Huh. To everybody. Great. Nice, definitely check that. Oh, it's got a lot of good check reviews. Check it out. Check it out. Four and a half stars. Cool. Awesome. That's another book I have to put on the old to watch, to, to read book. To read list. Oh, gosh. To read, yes. <laughs> I can't <laughs> even think of the words anymore. Ah, uh, great. All right. Um, another. Qu- All right, here we go. Let's talk about <clears throat> back to CG. <clears throat> what, in your opinion are some of the biggest mistakes or myths in CG? What are the biggest wastes of time? Hmm. It's an interesting question. Uh, so what is the biggest waste of time in CG? Um, I think that the biggest waste of time in CG is not doing CG and procrastinating <laughs> instead. That's that will cripple anything you do in CG. Uh, but um, you can't go wrong with doing, uh, just with experimenting, with um, learning, this, learning stuff about the software there uh, you're working on. Uh, you can't get wrong with it. It's the time well spent. So uh, I think that anything wrong that related to CG is outside the realm of CG, is watching the videos of cats, it's watching the replays of starcraft 2 as i do every time (laughs) you do you like star star what was it starcraft 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 2 2, yeah yes it's my confession oh i i i shouldn't do it i shouldn't do it so do you do you uh, ever play the the guys from south korea of course and how are they the koreans are the best players (laughs) and one of my experiences uh, related to internet uh, is that when I uh, bought a modem and I connected to the internet and straight away I, I went uh, to Battle.net, is, uh, the system uh, that connects players in StarCraft. Okay. So, and straight away I was, my first game uh, was the game with a Korean player. <laughs> I, I was like it's insanity you're playing with a guy from Korea mm. and that was uh, my experience related to to the uh, the power of the internet uh, that Whoa. communicative revolution that went went on and that was my wow factor related to internet <laughs> well <laughs> look at this we're going yeah, we're we're uh, we're really relating everything to what we've already spoken about, which is <laughs> accidentally uh, it's interconnected. Yeah, yeah, this is all planned. Yeah, we we meant to do this, but here's what I going back to this question because that 
as I said it, I was thinking of an answer myself very selfishly. The biggest wastes of time for uh, for CG. I think, and you can give me your opinions on this, it's doing work for the sake of doing work. And I'm thinking of one thing in particular, and this is this is a gripe of mine. It's those daily challenges. Now, a, yes. the idea of a sketch daily or a, you know, sculpt daily or make something, make one thing every day. That sounds fantastic, right? And if it's if you put it up against, you know, doing nothing, so it's either create one thing every day or do nothing every day, obviously doing something every day is better. We'll agree with that. That's doing at least nothing, doing something over nothing. But forcing, like doing, setting yourself the goal of just finishing something by the end of the day, it doesn't allow you to learn new things. You're forcing yourself to essentially access the library of knowledge that you already know how to do and do that thing. So here's an example. Like if I had to do a sculpt a day or a, a finish a CG render every day, I would not do a face because I don't know how to do a human face. I'm just I rubbish at it. You know, it, that's it gonna demands take a more lot time than just a day. Yes, exactly. To, to study anatomy, uh, to to get proportions right, to learn about proportions of the human face, and to learn this software, for example, the ZBrush, uh, Z or learning uh, sculpting in Blender. And sculpting have so many different uh, nuances about it, so many different things to learn. <laughs> so right. yes, I understand you completely. To learn to uh, sculpt a human face is a very challenging thing uh, that yeah. needs to be tackled not in the uh, time frame of a day or even a week or I should say even a month. It's an ongoing quest that you need yes. to spend some time, uh, quite a, quite a lot of time uh, to uh, to learn uh, even the basics of sculpting the human face. So right, it's, yeah. it would be completely impossible uh, to tackle this thing uh, in, a, in a time frame of just one day. And yeah. we, uh, of course, there are people and one of these uh, um, superhumans called Beeple. In his yes. site, people, and he's he I think has started com. that trend. He's done a fantastic work. He's done a fantastic work, but uh, I think that not everybody can um, get the same kind of results. He's super, super dedicated to what he does because he he's producing a uh, daily image for eight years every day. <laughs> eight years—that's a long time. Every day. Not yeah. a single day without an image, and but but here's the thing on that because uh, his is always the the example that's sort of brought up, and he actually like I for a little while I did similar image like I was like I'm gonna do one a day like everybody else, and uh, yeah like you basically like if you look at his library, they are much of the same thing. I don't mean that like as an insult. Like they are very different and they are very unique colorful and they've got each unique compositions and things in them but yes. they are all along the lines of abstract art you won't find one in there where it's like he suddenly delved into photorealistic environments you know it's like it's all this abstracty kind of stuff 
Now, yeah, so you need fantastic. to stick to, to some one uh, workflow to to get it done. Yeah. Yes. Something you already know how to do. Yeah. So if you are actually so that that's the thing for beginners, I especially think that these daily things are actually a very bad idea because you won't force yourself to learn new things, things that you probably have always wanted to learn. Like everybody has an area of blender that they've wanted to explore someday. Like I haven't found anybody that doesn't have something that they don't want to learn. Like what, like for example, Glad, what's, what's an area that you want to get into, but you haven't found the time yet. Uh, sculpting essentially in blender. It is sculpting and maybe, maybe a bit, bit of a texturing because, um, I, I repeat from time to time that, I use uh, procedural textures a lot more than I should have to uh, because <laughs> I, I, I need to spend more time actually painting the textures and exploring all that stuff related to unwrapping, uh, UV, making UV unwraps. That is the kind of an area that I need to uh, learn some things about. Mm. So there you go. So that, in that example then, you would not, if you had to do one thing a day, be able to learn sculpting and texturing you would be doing what you already know how to do and that so at the end basically at the end of it if you did a month of this you know render a day let's call it you know where you just rendered a month you know you would have 30 images that's pretty cool 30 images not bad 30 images versus nothing yes or you would also or if instead of that you had used that same time whatever it was an hour or two hours a day learning how to get better at sculpting or texturing, I feel at the end of it, the person who had had tackled their fears, the things that they know they're not good at, they've always wanted to learn, I feel like he would be ahead in the game, call it that, uh, than somebody who'd just done some, you know, 30 images. And basically, you just summarized uh, the the plot of the the One Thing book. Oh, really? (laughs) Yes, you did it very well. Oh, I don't need to read it. <laughs> just now, you just have to read it. <laughs> it's it's what it, it's about. Doing one mm. thing uh, drives you closer to the goal of some kind. Right. And when it's, you it's the... concentrate on the goal, you have a bigger chance to succeed in some in, in anything. Then, right. uh, and on the flip side, uh, you. You talk, uh, talked about uh, 30 images a, day, uh, in a month. And on the mm-hmm. flip side, probably, if you will stick to that uh, tempo, upbeat tempo, you will get completely insane and will yeah, yeah. no longer recognize your relatives. And uh, <laughs> that is pretty dangerous. Yeah, we I, don't know people's uh, social skills. Like, what's your social life, right? <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. <laughs> No, I'm 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 kidding. Of and course, and we don't want to know to know this. <laughs> <laughs> we just want to see cool images. Now I feel like eight years. Like that's enough, right? Like when is ten? Is that what he's going for? I don't know. I feel like uh, yeah. I don't know if he enjoys it. Who cares actually, right? So that that's the thing. Like if you're if you're an artist that actually only wants to do abstract art. Well, why should you do anything else? Like, that's a perfect thing then. Just do one a day. Who cares? You know, you'll just, you'll get better at that one thing, hopefully over time. And it's just, you'll get into a rhythm. But yeah, I feel like, like almost nobody I know only wants to, you know, pigeonhole themselves to do one specific thing. 
And I feel like if you ever do feel like you have learned everything, then you probably don't. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> if you ever say that, yeah, it's not. It's probably not true. It's much. It's much more productive to uh, set yourself goals. For for example, it can be. Uh, I want to make the great image for my portfolio by the end of this week or this month if you're just mm. starting out set yourself with some goals uh, then you will have a bigger chance to make a meaningful results and yeah. that's very important to yeah. know what you want to achieve so you can evaluate l- later on if you succeeded or not and you can uh, pivot from that uh, situation and to change something about your work uh, if you feel that you can do better you can change something and try another time but uh, to know that you should first um, create some goal for yourself and right. it's on top of it uh, it's very cool to create a deadline of some kind because deadline uh, motivates very much to actually finish your work and tell everybody tell everybody on twitter on facebook make a promise say i will finish that thing by the end and put the time and date and uh, that will keep your uh, true to your promise right yes or ch- jumping off the back of uh, last month's podcast i did a whole thing on um setting yourself a consequence of not achieving your goal. Um, so I'm, yeah, my example is I'm doing a six month challenge at the moment to learn digital painting and the cons- so and the goal is I have to get 2000 likes on art station for 2d related artwork only. And if I don't achieve it, and that's the consequence. If I don't do it, then I have to pay my cousin $1,000. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that sucks. That sucks paying you a thousand dollars to to our cousins, and uh, yeah. and that is that is actually a very great uh, way to push yourself yeah. in, into the right direction. They they say that's actually like one of the biggest motivators in like human psychology. Like, if you're not setting yourself consequences, you you're missing out on a lot of potential. Like. <laughs> And like doing this challenge, like I feel it. Like I, I feel like I've, I've learned how to learn, like um, so much. Like how to actually force yourself, like to get things done. Like things have. If I don't learn this, if I don't actually get good at this in this time frame, I'm gonna face this huge consequence, and it's not gonna go well. And uh, yeah. Anyway, it's. Uh, anyway, so we can highly sum- recommend. summarize it uh, in this way: create yourself a consequence create a deadline uh, some concrete time uh, for you to finish that stuff make a promise to everybody mm. <laughs> who, who you know uh, if you have uh, some social media like Twitter, Facebook, make a promise to your subscribers and to everybody uh, so it will get you to some state that you can finish uh, the stuff and finish it well Mm. Yeah. What what is it that you are struggling to uh to uh to to finish or to Have you have you ever done any sort of like consequence work like that or anything? 
I'm always pr- uh, trying to produce some kind of c- uh, consequence. That's why that's one of the reasons uh, why I'm blogging, uh, why I'm putting oh, really? uh, everything online. Online that motivates me to uh, stick to my promises. Ooh. That is very big thing for me because uh, before creating a blog, I never put anything online. Oh I, yeah, never ever. And uh, I had a hard time uh, getting stuff done. That is a, a great motivational factor for me, uh, putting uh, everything online, every bit of uh, work in progress or making um, promises of some kind of sharing uh, the intermediary results. Uh, so I recommend uh, to, in today's world, we cannot just make art. We need to share it with other people uh, to get our voice heard. And it's a very uh, good practice. And get practice. feedback. Yes, and get the feedback. And get the feedback to become better. Yeah, yeah. So that's why creating blog is a very good thing. Uh, not as, uh, um, no, it, can be, it can be anything. If you feel comfortable just by posting your uh, stuff to online galleries, Go ahead, and yeah. if you just put everything on Facebook, that is your kind of way to do it. But put your work online. Yeah, totally agree. Um, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna continue riffing on that, but we've got a few more questions, and uh, I know we've got to wrap up in about fifteen minutes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so. I wanted to ask, what is your favorite book or reset uh, or resource uh, that's helped you learn Blender or CG or art in general? Um, so, for beginners hoping to teach themselves, uh, what what would you suggest they use? Uh, one of my favorite resources they are Blender Guru. That's that's an interesting <laughs> website. Tell us about it. Yes. <laughs> no. yeah, that, that guy is uh, producing amazing tutorials, so check it out. Uh, the cgmasters.net. Mm. That, uh, that is another place to go to get quality uh, tutorials about Blender. And that's cgmasters.net? Uh, .net. Check. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and also, I'd recommend uh, to check out, of course, the CG Cookie website, mm-hmm. and no, not only the Blender section of it, called BlenderCookie.com, but also the concept art and uh, 2D art uh, kind of thing, because uh, that is very important to learn the basics of composition and uh, not not only to concentrate on the 3D modeling and texturing, but to learn the underlying things um, of more broad scope, composition, for example, CG cookie. Mm, right. Yeah. And also, also, one more site, mm. very interesting one. I recommend you to check CreativeShrimp.com. <laughs> How's <laughs> that for a Couldn't resist the temptation to, to yeah. plug it in on Blender Guru podcast. What? What? Here's a, here's a question though. What videos would you recommend to somebody who who hasn't seen your stuff before? What should they watch first? Oh, anything, anything. I, I'd recommend um, to start watching everything, every video, and. 
uh, pressing like button <laughs> and share, <laughs> what, what if they've only it. got 10 minutes there uh, so watch the steampunk uh, tutorial how to create a steampunk machine in blender steampunk blender just type that into youtube bam there it is blender tutorial how to create epic steampunk machine what yes, I'm here we like. go discover how oh thank you so much <laughs> <laughs> and, and oh like oh. and subs- how am i not subscribed oh wait i'm different account okay never mind go on oh i thought how discover. could you <laughs> i know right <laughs> yeah but that's that's okay now i know you're subscribed <laughs> you got you almost got 30,000 subscribers man you're you're going I, places i need to it's produce off. And, uh, some video with celebrating the 30,000 subscribers yeah what will it look like i cannot imagine <laughs> will, will it be but here's the thing though like your milestones will get progressively bigger because like i find like the subscriber thing on youtube like it's almost like on an exponential growth so like i've noticed like i it feels like i only noticed like blender guru had like a hundred thousand subscribers like the start of the year like 2015 and it's already now at 150 like we just passed 150,000. yeah i agree so it, in the it last seems to grow year, faster and faster yeah in the last year we've got you know half the subscribers that took me five years or whatever to accumulate before that so yeah you'll notice your subscriber count just like gradually skyrockets skyrocket yeah and yeah. on facebook and especially on twitter is is a different thing uh on twitter i noticed that uh the subscriber count is just staying the same on your but, facebook uh, on, on my twitter it is growing oh, but twitter. it's growing very slowly on facebook mm-hmm. it's growing uh a bit faster and on youtube it's is growing very fast uh, compared to what it uh, looked like a half a year ago. It uh, seemed to uh, have an exponential growth indeed. I find like maybe it's because you're, uh, the the Twitter... Like, I don't know. I haven't seen... Uh, maybe I'm not seeing... I don't know why, but I haven't seen too much of you uh, popping up on Twitter. Maybe, maybe because we live in different time zones. And oh, we'll, that's a good yes. point. Yeah, yeah so that's you, true. So I'm, when you start uh, your day, 9, like now, I'm finishing. AM, yeah. Yes, you're basically finishing your day, and uh, that's why. Especially if you night. start at one p.m. <laughs> <laughs> so you I'm, have I'm no bed. chance of seeing my tweet. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. Yeah. I, I'll, uh, t- tomorrow okay. I'll wake up. I'll wake up uh, <laughs> at night and just post something. Hey, Andrew, on Twitter, <laughs> and and a picture of myself in that. Oh. <laughs> all right awesome um on that topic of uh of of resources for learning uh how did you one how did you learn cg because i know you started with 3ds max first um and then how did you learn blender like who trained and influenced you um what about 3ds max i learned it by doing stuff and uh what a shame i didn't watch tutorials Oh, I, books? No, no, no. I learned it by doing. Uh, when I first tried uh, doing something in 3ds Max, I was 14 years old, and I did a bunch of teapots. That was my Ooh. first render, the teapots. Really? And when and I what made, year was this? And then I made a pyramid, and that was. And I didn't know how to texture stuff, so I just um, experimented with modeling. 
And for some reason, mainly because I didn't have internet at the time, because <laughs> I bought a modem when I was 15. And when I was 14, oh. I didn't have internet. And so I this was when you were 14, you started using 3ds Max? I started from time to time, you know, very seldom. Uh, right. I, I just About opened 13 3DS years Max. ago, right? Oh, that a hell of a You're time. 14. I was trying to do the math from your age of 27. Thir- 13 <laughs> years ago. It was 13 okay, sure. years ago. Uh, so I just learned everything by, by doing it. I pushed the buttons and I watched the result of these, my actions. Uh, that way I learned the basics of the software. Wow. And later on, of course, I watched the tutorials, uh, the DVDs uh, for 3ds Max. I bought a book big book about 3ds max 5 version 5 and wow. it was like uh, 600 pages and oh i read uh, the first 20 <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was gonna say as if you finished it i never wow. finished, i never finished it it described that sounds so boring every, 600 pages every of function of 3ds max <sighs> in detail and 3ds max is boring on itself and uh, yeah. that book a boring book about the boring software is a boring is so amazingly boring that i couldn't just go through it and i understood that i'd better just push the buttons right <laughs> it's easier to push the buttons gosh some books are just stupidly boring i don't know how they like the way some people write oh my gosh just make you want to just tear your face off they're just so (laughs) dense and thick and just full of just so much oh my gosh i don't even know how to describe it's like it's like they they are focused on like like they read only textbooks their entire life and now they think that's how you're supposed to write like yes, just uh, and, pure, and that books, like every uh, don't, fact have don't to have cram a, it in here. Yes, don't have a focus. They just describe every possible function and uh, in this software, and that's meaningless. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, uh, exactly. That doesn't make sense for me, and that is one of the reasons why I, uh, in my book that I'm writing right now about lighting, I try to keep it interesting for readers. Yeah, you have to relate it somehow to the to the to the reader. Yes, like so if you're talking it's, about it's a area lamp, yeah. not only uh, educational but entertaining, because if it's right. not entertaining, it's getting boring. Yeah, and and then it's getting thrown in the trash. Boring books. Yes, it yeah turns out to in the trash can. It's weird. There's so many great books out there which are like like in different industries, like architecture or like drawing, which I'm trying to do at the moment. And you, you look at, like, book recommendations, and there are these books which, like, everybody says you should read. Or, no, here's a good one. There's a website um, which was – hang on, I'll pull up the name of it. But everybody says that this is the best way to learn color theory, right? And uh, it, it supposedly it explains everything you need to know uh, to do with color and it is impossible to read. I'll see if I can pull it up. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say and, it on and, the... On and the... meanwhile, I'd recommend uh, another book about color. Actually, a very interesting one. And how color relates to lighting. 
in okay. the in the classical arts. Uh, it's called Color and Light by James Gurney. Color and Light. That sounds familiar. Color and Light. It's for people who want to uh, learn how color interacts with light oh. in uh, the art. I've just finished. I'm almost finished reading this book right now. Yes, I'm like yes. a third of the way through, uh, three quarters of the way through. Do you like it? Yeah, that's a great book. And it's very applicable to to CG as well. Yes. Which is uh, great. And that, that website for anyone. So HughValuechroma.com. HughValuechroma.com. If anybody would do me a favor and read the website and distill it down into something readable. Oh my gosh. It is so dense and written so verbosely. Like you could, like a paragraph, like maybe, I don't know, five paragraphs could often be summed up in one or two sentences if you try, you know, which I feel like a lot of authors just don't do. Like they don't try to make it easier for the reader or the, you know, whatever to understand it. So they're like, whatever, I'll just tell them what I know and they'll figure it out, you know. Yes, there are a lot of such books. Yeah. Anyways, sorry, getting off, getting off onto a sad little tangent again. Um, so that's, uh, okay, so th- that's how you learned that. Um, 3D is Max. Great. And, great. and Blender was a different story. It was a completely different story because I already knew how to make things in 3D, and now I needed to learn just uh, another set of tools. I knew the basics. I knew the principles. Uh, so it was pretty easy for me to learn Blender. And I watched, I started right away by watching the tutorials. Um, there were many uh, tutorials available for free. It was Blender Guru tutorials. It was... <laughs> CG Masters tutorials. It was CG Cookie tutorials. That we- website that I recommend to everybody. So I started by watching tutorials, but at the same time, I tried to not get stuck in the tutorial zone. So I just mm. uh, downloaded Blender and um, after after um, just creating a few cubes and so on, I participated in the competition. In the competition called Her Majesty air fleet it's about Ooh, it was this yes. steampunk stuff and i knew that if i had uh, a deadline if i uh-huh. had a consequence that thing that you were talking about if i had a consequence of losing the competition that will uh, motivate me to learn the software and uh, i had two months maybe a month and a half to finish the picture so i spent the whole time learning Blender and learning um, on the example, uh, learning on the project of uh, Steampunk Zeppelins. Wow. That turned out to be the winner of the competition, and it gave me uh, motivation and energy to create my blog and to switch to Blender completely. That's great. That is weird. That, like, your first image with Blender... I made, a bu- this, uh, I made a bunch of um, images, like uh, Suzanne rendered with an Omni light. Of course, of course, I did some some of this uh, thing, but it was the first real image. Uh, right, at the same the time, it image, was yeah. yes, the first image that I put online. It was the wow. first image that I 
upload it to galleries and so on. Wow. You know what's weird? I just Googled Her Majesty's Zeppelins. And uh, if you go to the images, it is uh, a tiled wallpaper of that image. Yeah? Your image. <laughs> Basically, like a hundred websites oh. have listed it. Yes, yes. It's everywhere. Oh, my goodness. All over oh. Pinterest, Cool Vibe, Tumblr, Google+. Man, that... Yeah, that's, that's a successful image. That's that's what you want to get. To. You want to get to the stage. You, you want to get to the stage where your work it was so good that if you Google the name of it, it'll it'll do this. <laughs> it'll tile it, and every site will have had it. Wow, oh. that's great. And that tile look awful, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and after that, because I remember it was soon after that you entered a couple of the Blender Guru competitions, right? The Christmas one, I remember, yes. definitely. Was that the first one, the Christmas one? Oh, that was the first and only one, the Christmas oh. combination. Oh, I thought you entered a couple of others. Just that one? Just that one, Maybe if I remember correctly. Yes, yes, just that one. And I participated in a CG cookie competition called Halloween Competition. Ooh, yes. I don't know if I've seen that render. What's it called? What, what was your entry called? Uh, Halloween ghost, maybe oh. something like that. Well, if I Google image that, no, 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 you, we won't it's find not anything come because <laughs> Halloween, Halloween is too popular and have too yeah. many content <laughs> available for us. Well, that's cool. I'll uh, I'll take a look another time. All right, let's. Uh, another question: Are there any lesser known tutors or artists that you'd recommend or you've got your eye on at the moment? Uh, Renando Martinez. Ah, all right. Shout out to Renante. He's, yeah. He's going to be editing this podcast, by the way. He'll be thrilled. <laughs> yes, he will be thrilled to, to listen to it. Uh, Renando is a very talented artist with a very uh, distinct style. You, mm. or, uh, When you see his image, you know that it's made by Renando. That's true. You can so tell. Check it out, RenandoMartinez.com. Mm-hmm. And also check his tutorials and articles as well. Mm. There are a lot of website. interesting stuff. Tuts and articles. Yes. Yeah. And who else? Any yeah, lot artists of, lot of that artists. You, were... you know, a lot of artists. I can't remember them all. <laughs> I'll shout out one. Mason Menzies. Yes. 15-year-old uh, um, dude who's doing stellar stuff. And uh, did you see his tree that he created using the grove add-on oh yes he's he just did another one yesterday as well yeah uh oh, yeah that tree was impressive yeah it's crazy isn't it that makes yeah. uh that is a good yeah. tree made in blender and that is something because uh it's very complicated to achieve that quality if you'd ever oh, yeah. tried to create a trees in blender with a build yeah and add-on the zaplink <laughs> sapling add-ons not so great it's not it's, it's weird it's so great, yeah it, it's weird how your tastes change over time like uh like before the sapling add-on we had to create trees with blender 2.49 and it, you had to like make these bulbous shape and then do some hacky mm-hmm. thing to generate branches it was awful sapling is way better than that but now it's like nah sapling's not so good because technology gets better. Uh, one thing I've found like is really hard to do for trees is um, big trees. 
like dense, huge trees, um, you know, more than say, like a, like a 10 meter high tree or something like that. That's when it's really challenging because you find most software like to generate the tree crashes and then to use it in the 3D software, it crashes as well. So I find like there's usually like a limit, like you hit a ceiling. Yes, yes. And if you want to create the whole grove or the forest with that kind of high poly trees, you're shooting yourself in the leg because yeah. it's so hard. And if you, when you're working, for example, three years max, all right, with, and with V-Ray, it has a function for importing a proxy trees, proxy geometry. And mm. uh, when we work in Blender, we don't have such function yet. So we have to deal with uh, insane polygon counts. And um, when you have more than, say, a 5 million polygons in your scene, it becomes pretty much slow uh, to work with, and it can crash like no problem. Right, yeah. And when you have 50 million polygons... That is, <laughs> that is a different story. Yeah. You can, you can really, like, when you hit those, those ceilings, you can understand why, like, the big studios that are working on, you know, visual effects for Hollywood, why they have such expensive hardware. And their machines, you know, each workstation can be, like, $20,000 each or something. For that reason, like, they have to push it to the absolute limits of not just the software, but, like, of hardware. Go beyond, like... What is the absolute bleeding edge so that we can create effects that have never been seen before? And put and the then, simulations on top of it, like fluid simulation. Oh, I know. And yeah. it's another thing that that is insanely hard to achieve on, uh, on our computers just without having a render farm or any kind of uh, studio that will distribute the load. No, right. it's very yeah. hard to do on your own, that kind of things that demand at least a render farm. Yeah. Do you have any render farms you, you recommend? Because there's a few nowadays. It's like 10 or whatever. You can try render.st. Yes, uh, they, they actually want to be known as renderstreet.com nowadays. Yes. Renderstreet.com. It's That's nice. It. Yeah, I recommend them as well. They're really good. Yeah. Um, and I've also heard good things about um, what's it called? Jeez, I don't know why I brought it up. I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> but it's like That's all right. That's all right. Oh, that gosh. unnamed thing. That that is good. That unnamed thing is great. That is <laughs> superior. It's even better no. than these unnamed thing that we talked about yesterday. No, no, no. I'm going to tell you the name now. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh, wait. No, that's Lion Render. Okay, never mind. Oh. I thought that was... What is it? I have heard Lion, Lion Render's okay. But it was... Uh, oh, oh. I think it's Brenda. Brenda. B. Brenda Farm? Oh, I don't know if this is right. Brenda Pro. Yes, that's it. BrendaPro.com. So B R E N D A Pro.com. Pro. And I've heard that is um, so it's rendering using Amazon Web Services. So Amazon S3, which is uh-huh. of course very cheap computing. So if you can somehow plug, you know, Blender into Amazon, which I've heard people do, but I know it's extremely hard. So I think this thing, whatever it is, a plugin or a program or whatever 
it makes that easier, like using uh, Amazon S3 for your rendering. So um, I don't know. I but, think, but if you just want ease of use, I think definitely Render Street. Yes, Render Street is, is good. But if we even have Render Farm at our disposal, we um, have another problem that we cannot preview in the viewport all that stuff, and we need to oh, render yeah, problem. then see what we what we made and that that's not the workflow that can be called what you see is what you get because yeah uh, uh seeing things right in the viewport is the way to go if yeah. somehow it can be uh solved this problem then render farms will become even better yeah that's a good point actually yeah the day you can have that power of like amazon s3 like 2000 cores working seemingly locally so like you said you could view it in your viewport that's when it's uh that's when it's going to be extremely helpful because yeah you're right like that that we've all had that problem anybody that's used to render farm has had that problem where you send a file off to get rendered and it doesn't come out correct for whatever reason the you know the layers or the the configuration which you had that doesn't work when it's sent to another computer. Yes, and it many things locally. can go wrong when you render yeah. it. Many things are just a little. Which is switch. annoyingly like happens a lot when you're rendering on a farm because that's when you need like time is of the essence. <laughs> yes, and everything goes wrong. Yeah, that's not that's not fun. It's not a very very intuitive workflow. No, it's it's really not. But, uh, yeah, anyway. Um, oh, here's another question. Okay, here's a... This is very open-ended. <clears throat> if you were to train, Gleb, if you yeah. were approached by a complete noob, somebody who was new to Blender, and you had to train him to win an art competition, say, let's say win the Blender Guru art competition, whatever it is, and you had a million dollars on the line... So if this guy wins, if you can train this guy to win it, you get a million dollars. What All right. would the training look like? Uh, probably I will uh, do the render myself. And then we, <laughs> we'll, we'll train that person to fake, to fake the expertise. <laughs> uh, will it be cheating? Oh, yes, yeah. So that, that won't pass. What... what if that doesn't work, what 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 would you do? If you had to train him, if we have just one month, for example, yes. Let, let, let's say you've got three months. No, Th yeah, three months. Three months. Three months. Three months. Uh, so we'll practice uh, with with a software, particular software, uh, for example, with Blender, and at the same time. In parallel, we'll learn uh, the stuff about uh, composition, about what makes picture look good. Uh, the composition, lighting, and so on. The theory behind uh, the renders, behind the right. successful images. Because at the first, in the first place, uh, what we what we do is we create a cool images, and uh, all the rest is just the tools and how we use it. Uh, and mm -hmm. so technically, uh, it's all, everything is possible if you know what you want to achieve, what makes image look good. Uh, so the priority of learning anything uh, related to visual stuff is to learn uh, the theory of 
composition. Mm, right. And on top and of how, that, how would you, you can, you can build that? anything else. You can learn Blender. You can learn sculpting in ZBrush and how to, uh, how to visualize it anywhere else. But uh, you need a foundation. You, you well, how, in, going back to the composition, how, how would you recommend? Like, what are some resources you know for learning uh, composition? Oh, there are a lot of resources. Um, there is a tutorial made by Andrew Price. Called, <laughs> called something about composition. Uh, it's a very, very good tutorial. It summarizes uh, the main things that you need to know uh, about composition. It's a focal point. Uh, mm-hmm. It's why you shouldn't have uh, too many focal points or, uh, and the importance of having just one mm-hmm. stra- right. strong focal point. And, um, balance. Uh, balance, yes. And uh, after that... I would recommend to uh, read a few books ab- about uh, color in arts. That book that we already talking about, um, color, and light, color and Light by James Gurney. Then I'd recommend uh, to read some books uh, about lighting for photographers. For example, uh, Direction and Quality of Light, Your Key to Better Portrait Photography Anywhere. That is a very good book. Uh, even if you're a 3D artist, a CG artist, uh, you need to learn uh, the tips and tricks of photography to be able uh, to simulate that in 3D. It's very good uh, to not concentrate only on a software side of things and to explore the surroundings, uh, to explore right. the, the photography, the cinematography, uh, the art, and that all uh, will allow you to create better stuff in CG. Mm. Great. That's a great. That's a great starting point for sure for a lot of people. So composition and general uh, knowledge about lighting and about photography. general knowledge about lighting. What would what would you recommend for general knowledge on lighting? Uh, there is a book called Light, Science, and Magic. Science and light, magic. science and magic, an introduction to photographic lighting. Ooh, I haven't heard of this one. It's a very. Is this good for three D artists or? It's for everybody, because it is related to physics of lighting or how how lighting works in real cool. life. That is an introductory book, very very good. So it's it looks my, dense. It's my honest recommendation. Uh-huh. It's pretty. It's pretty big. It's huge. The three hundred and sixty pages. Yeah, that's big. Yes, but if you go through it, you'll have a much better understanding of how lighting works in general. Whoa. Yeah, for sure. Huh. Okay. Light, science, and magic. An introduction to photographic lighting. That's awesome. Thanks for that. I will, um, by the way, for the folks at home listening that are trying to keep up with everything we've been mentioning, um, if you go to the show notes for this podcast on Blender Guru, um, I'll have all the links there so you can check out everything, the books, tutorials, every, it's going to be a long list, I think. The the library. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. You can read it a long time. You can spend a a month (laughs) or two reading all this stuff. This is very interesting. You will spend yeah. your time very well. 
Absolutely. Better than a sketch a day. <laughs> if you want, if you absolutely <laughs> feel like you want uh, to make a sketch a day, go ahead, but set yourself a goal Goal anyway. Yeah, do something, something long-term as well. So... Uh, introduction to composition was uh, my video. That, by the way, on composition, I uh, I have another book to recommend to you. It's called Framed Ink. Now, I have not read this full disclosure yet, but I recently interviewed um, five expert um, digital painters for my little challenge, mm-hmm. and I asked them what books do you recommend for people learning you know, painting and things. And they all recommended a bunch of things, but nearly all of them all recommended this one book. It was the most recommended book amongst all of them, Framed Ink. And it's about composition. Um, and I think it goes into a lot more depth than my introductory video. Um, I had a flick through it and it does seem to cover a lot of things. I've got it on my shelf. I'm, it's one of the next things to read basically. Um, but yeah, have a check, uh, yeah. Have a look at that. Five stars on Amazon, so I'll put that in the uh, in the description as well. Okay, so yeah, so composition, learning that introduction, light science. So learning lighting, and what was the next one after that? Sorry, was it uh, light uh, science and magic? Oh yeah, after after that one. After that one. Mm. What would you do after what that? Would you do? What would you do after that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> After that, probably you will end up creating a great renders, and when you will show it to people, they will go, "Wow, that's amazing! <laughs> that's right. crazy yeah. good! How do you achieve that kind of great results?" And then you will tell them to read that books. Yeah. Okay, so that's all that's required then. Okay, what about what about? Geez, what about like? texture and shape or I don't know trying to think of other things to expand (laughs) expand the learning yeah beyond those things to to expand the learning a little bit more uh, you can it's the theoretical books too but you can read uh, cinematography theory and practice book is that a book yes it's a book by Blaine Brown cinematography theory and practice Image-making for cinematographers, uh, directors, and videographers. This looks good. Yes, yes. Another it's, great it, it, book. It's a great book. It's a great book, uh, which expands on the topic of uh, composition and lighting and all that stuff, but in the context of uh, cinematography. Hmm. It would be very interesting for animators, for people who want to create their uh, short film, Give it a look. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Great. Add that one to the old list. And on the on the uh, extension of um, further learning, um, I feel like, and you'll notice for the, I'm just talking to the listeners now, <laughs> The uh, everything Gleb's mentioned and I've mentioned here, you'll notice it's nothing to do with Blender. And that is really a key takeaway. Like, I feel... Like you get a lot of you know emails from you know new Blender users, and they say, "What, what Blender tutorials or what things should I read?" Or they want to know a Blender tutorial for cinematography. You know, like that's not the way you should be thinking about. It. Like Blender is just the tool; it's a tiny niche. The good information is out there in so many different genres, 
photography, painting, animation, all that kind of stuff. That stuff you will find outside of the Blender community. And so, you know, these books and the next one I'll recommend, the Noman Workshop, G-N-O-M-O-N, weirdest spelling for a company, by the way. Yes. The Noman uh, Workshop. uh, They have phenomenal, phenomenal tutorials. I watched so many tutorials by Gnomon. Oh, you have? Yeah, yeah. Which ones do you recommend? Uh, uh, If I remember correctly, it was the hard surface sculpting for ZBrush. If it was Gnomon, maybe I'm mistaken about it. But uh, anyway, you can pick a uh, a bunch of cool tutorials because uh, Gnomon is famous for producing quality stuff. You can go go around with uh, watching the tutorials by them. Yeah, and it, and it's people that work in the industry. So normally, what happens with um, with training is that the tutors, the people giving the tutorials, are not in the industry themselves, like myself. <laughs> oh. I don't work. I don't work in the industry, and nor have I ever. But I do tutorials on it. So if you want like the next level training, you kind of gotta go and have a look at other other stuff. So a lot of these people that are on the Noma Workshop, you'll find people that work at Pixar, the Industrial Light and Magic, um, that have worked in the industry and they're teaching the tricks and the skills of the trade that is, like, as you start watching it, and you'll probably agree, Gleb, like, it feels like it's it's on another level. It's uh, it's not stuff you'll find on YouTube, you know? Yes, I would agree uh, with you on yeah. that one. <laughs> they're very good. They're very good. I'm yeah. feeling envious about them. I, I feel that we need to to produce something like that. That quality is a milestone for us to achieve. <laughs> yeah, it's a good. It's a good. And by uh, the way, it's a good benchmark. By the way, congratulations, Andrew, and congratulations everybody, because today is a third December, three D. Oh, it's a. We can celebrate it. <laughs> Did you just notice that now, or is that yeah, an actual day? Yes. Uh, it's, a, it's an actual day. It's a um, holiday of all 3D artists. And, I've never heard of this yesterday, before. You're making it up. Yesterday, it was 2D artists. <laughs> 2nd of December. Is and, this a thing? Yes, it's real. It's real. It is, so what happens tomorrow, then? Uh, 4D Tomorrow, uh, our world <laughs> will collapse into fourth dimension. So we have today to finish all wow. the projects, to put it online, and to get feedback, to drink some coffee, and to enjoy ourselves. <laughs> I feel like you're really grasping at straws for like uh, excuses for procrastinating. And being lazy during the day. It's like your wife comes in like, like, Gleb, come on. Just sitting there drinking coffee all day. It's like, hey, it's, uh, look at your watch. Uh, it's the 3D holiday. (laughs) No, the 3rd of uh, December. It's a thing, you know. It's my professional (laughs) holiday. Yeah, I'm not doing anything today. And that's my reasoning. (laughs) So it's a perfect day to make a podcast for 3D artists. It's yeah. a per- perfect timing. Yeah, absolutely. So on that note, let's uh, let's let's wrap it up because I know you've got some place to be, Gleb. Um, 
where can people find you? Another chance for a plug. Visit me at creativeshrimp.com. And creative shrimp. Yes, creative shrimp. Very creative shrimp. But uh, <laughs> uh, you can follow me also on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube, and see you, everybody there. And on YouTube, though, you'll find him if you enter Gleb Alexandrov, and he's the uh, the channel called Gleb Alexandrov. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> and you can even follow me on Instagram uh, to see Go some uh, cat photos. Are you on it? Am yeah. I following you on Instagram? Yeah. What's, what are you, Gleb Alexandrov? Gleb dot Alexandrov. Alexandrov. Let me see if I've seen your stuff before. Oh, oh it's, it's a lot of different stuff. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> I think I've seen your stuff come up on Facebook. And if you, if, if, you, if you look at uh, the second photo in the middle, mm -hmm. uh, that's a sneak peek at the future tutorial that I will post on Creative Shrimp. It's about lamography. Oh, 1% yes. over the top? No, not that one. Uh, oh, that one uh, <laughs> uh, at the top. The middle one. Oh, sorry, top, top middle. Sorry, I thought yes, it said yes. second row for some reason. Ah, gotcha. Ew, so it's a photo of you holding your hand up to the monitor. Yes. And there's a bunch of weird light streaks and stuff all over it. Light streaks interesting. for the win. And uh, thank you so much once again, Andrew, for having me on. And I appreciate the possibility to talk about various crazy things. And uh, <laughs> thank you, everybody, who listened to uh, to, to our talk and uh, <laughs> see you next time on the next podcast yes yeah awesome Th yeah that was that was great thanks Gleb awesome thank you so much alright Gleb Alexandrov ladies and gentlemen how cool is that guy always cool to uh, to talk with him for a second time maybe we'll do it again probably uh, if he keeps posting good stuff keep staying relevant which i'm sure he will um all right cool so now what we have is questions questions from the twitterverse um this is where you guys the listeners send in great questions <laughs> sometimes they're great sometimes they're boring but you send in great questions via twitter using hashtag bgpod and then i uh then i read it out and answer it hopefully um, and this is the second time I'm going to record this because I started recording this just earlier, and then some nut job, uh, his his car alarm went off outside, and uh, I'm not one of those people that can just work through a sound like that. I don't know why it is, but any loud, interrupting sound, like some people can tune it out, not me. Like somebody like doing the dishwasher, like emptying the dishwasher, the clattering of the plates. I have to walk out. I have to go to another room, shut the door, put ear earphones in. I'm like, I... Urgh! So anyways, it didn't go well. I was, I was reading your questions and then I started screaming out the window. So I thought, that's, that's a little unseemly. We got to cut that. We'll have to redo it once the car alarm stops. And by the way, has it... Can we stop using car alarms? It's... When was the last time you heard a car alarm go off and go, oh, my goodness, somebody is stealing a car. I better go investigate. No, you hear a car alarm and you just go, oh, 
then they're not used for the desired purpose they were intended now. Now it's just noise pollution. Okay, done. All right, let's talk about, uh, oh, first of all, before we get to the questions, little advertising folks, as always, Polygon. Oh, what? Polygon, you've never advertised Polygon before. I know, Polygon is the new website that we've been building in the background for the last year. So it was previously called CG Fort, and I'd spoken about it a few times throughout the year, CG Fort, decided to change it to Polygon because nobody knew what on earth I was saying when I said CG Fort. Like I went to Sigraph and they're like, what are you doing, Andrew? I'm like, oh, I'm working on, you know, CG Fort. They're like, Ford? Like the car? No, no, CG Fort, like the like fourth? Fourth. It's like, oh, like, oh, and CG are oh, with a number four. No. And I had to spell it. So I picked another name, which you also have to spell. <laughs> so it's called Polygon, but it's spelled P-O-L-I-I-G-O-N. So Polygon, but with two I's instead of a Y, which uh, I don't know if it's any better. But to me, it when I when I when I, the name popped into my head, I'm like, that's the one I'm going with. I, I brainstormed for weeks, <laughs> coming up with lists of different names, and Polygon was definitely my favorite. So we've got a new logo now. We've actually got a landing page up so you can see what all the fuss is about. Polygon.com, P-O-L-I-I-G-O-N. I hope I don't have to do that every time I mention it. Polygon.com, so it's only a landing page. The site is not launched, but in about a week, we're opening it up to alpha testers, 50 spots, um, and uh, you have to pay a year subscription in advance, which I know is a big ask. It's not for everybody, but we just want to give it to a handful of people and then work with them while they start using it. But if, you just, if you're if you curious about it, go to polygon.com. We've got a bunch of pictures there. It tells you what it's about. Um, so essentially, instead of it just being, here's a bunch of textures, you get the texture with all of the normal displacement and reflection maps for every single texture, which of course is vital if you want photorealistic looking materials. So yeah, at the start of the year, I did a tutorial on texturing and I said I had to use Crazy Bump and yada, yada, yada. Well, Polygon is the answer to that. So we've done all the hard work for you. So you should just be able to get some nice photorealistic, excuse me, nice photorealistic materials um, in seconds. And it works with any 3D software. All right. And that will be officially launching um, early next year. I don't want to say a month because then the month will roll around and people will say, where is it? And then it's not there. And then I look like I've failed. <laughs> so we'll just say early next year, but should be early, early. Okay. First question. <clears throat> Ever use Brenda? It's 80% cheaper than a render farm and now works on Windows. Funny, you should mention that. We just talked about that with, uh, with Gleb. So to answer your question, I have not used it, but... I, if I was to be rendering anything on a render farm right now, I would definitely want to look at Brenda. 80% cheaper sounds like it's pretty good. So yeah, we just don't have anything that we're rendering at the moment, so we don't need it. <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, for anybody listening, I, I mean, it's one of those things like where you hear it so many times after you've, the fifth person has said it, it's like, all right, I got to check it out, you know? Um, and you've also posted a tutorial that you made, which is incredibly cool. Um, so I'll put that in the links 
uh, for this podcast as well. I just want to say your voice is so deep. Let me just turn up the volume here so you can hear his voice. If you're a Windows user who'd like to render their Blender projects on Amazon's website... Oh my gosh! Whoo! I wish I could talk like that normally. That would be very... That's a great voice, like, if you need to call up uh, to, you know, have, like, a fee waived from your bank and you call up... I'd like to waive my fee. Oh, sure. As opposed to me. Which, uh, I'd like to... Uh, I got a fee. I'm not so... Gr- I don't like it. Like, deal with it. All right. Next question. Actually, this isn't a question. This is from Ethan Hansen. I'm committed to learning digital painting for the next year, starting with 100 likes on ArtStation within a month. So, yeah, that's that's a little uh, request. So, at the end of the uh, podcast... So, last, last, last month's podcast... I spoke about how I've started consequence training, whereby if you want to learn something, set yourself a consequence if you do not achieve it. So my one is uh, I have to achieve 2,000 likes on ArtStation within six months. And if I don't do it, then I give my cousin $1,000. So I said to people, if you want to join me on some sort of quest, you want to, I don't know, if you're, if you're anybody listening actually implements what I've been talking about here, consequence training, let me know. Um, and Ethan, you have done that. So you're trying to get 100 likes on ArtStation within a month. Great. Uh, oh, I can't remember. Did you actually have a consequence? Because you haven't listed it there. I'm pretty sure you did because I think I checked out your stick page. You've got to have a consequence. Otherwise, it's just uh, there's no motivation. By the way, Ethan, it's, uh, it's rolling around to... Uh, you've only got eight days to achieve this. And I had a look at your ArtStation page. I haven't seen anything on there yet. I haven't seen any any uh, 2D related artworks, so uh, I don't know, man. It's uh, it's coming up to it. So whatever consequence you have, I hope you hope you're prepared because uh, you you got to achieve a hundred hundred likes within within a week, basically. Um, I, I shouldn't be criticizing. I've got to achieve I don't know another one thousand nine hundred something likes. All right. Duval Buck says, I would like your take on the pros and cons of physically based rendering. Ooh, physically based rendering. There's the buzzword. So here's my understanding of physically based rendering. Um, game, to, to people that are in the game industry, it makes sense. Because from my understanding, you guys used to paint everything directly onto the map. So if you were making a rifle, for example, for a video game, you would paint into the crevices, like all the, like the occlusion maps, you would paint, I'm not reflection maps, surely, but you would do, a, you would basically paint it into the maps. So it was not, so one, so for example, um, like baking essentially. So it was like baking. So if you had, and like an environment, so you had a wooden barrel sitting on the ground, it was designed for that specific environment, but it wouldn't work in another environment. Because if the lighting changed, all the stuff that they baked into it wouldn't make sense. So PBR, and I think I think the reason it's just suddenly come up and everybody's you know talking about it is that PBR is um, well, game engines have caught up, so now they don't have to do so much baking. They can make things uh, independent of the lighting that they are in. So you could have a wooden barrel. Why is it a wooden barrel? It's a wooden barrel. You could have it sitting on the beach and it looks great. And you could have it sitting in a dingy dungeon and it should look great as well. It shouldn't, you know, the maps shouldn't have to be baked regardless. So, 
boy, I'm really, I have to tell you, this stuff just, I mean, because when you hear about it, you're like, PBR, PBR. I've, okay, there's a great, if you really, really want to dig into it, uh, Algorithmic, they have a, um, two PDFs, a PDF guide, volume one and volume two, on PBR, and they talk all about it, all that kind of stuff. So I definitely recommend that. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And as well as that, there is another video, and this is, I don't know, this seems different. <laughs> um, but, okay, so Cinecat Pro, a guy on YouTube has put together a collection of really, really good tutorials, which really opened my eyes to, um, you know, like the how things look photorealistic and how, you know, we assume like, oh, you want to make something look photorealistic, you know, it's a diffuse with a glossy map, you know, that's a slightly diffused glossy material. And he explains all the complicated stuff about Fresnel, um, about all, so he, he puts together these elaborate node setups for what I assumed would be a basic setup, but, you know, using like a power value and Fresnel and like controlling the roughness. As you can see, I don't really understand, because I haven't really delved into it myself, but my understanding is if you want extremely photorealistic materials, you've got to really start to understand how things work in the real world. And straight off the boat, cycles isn't as photorealistic as I had assumed. So you've got to do a lot of fiddling around with things in order to get some, some good results. So he's got a great playlist. Um, and he's actually like very, very good tutor, which, which is fantastic. You usually do not... People with like approaching these dense topics, it's like, oh, you really have to uh, know how to capture people's attention and he does it. So I'll put that link in there as well. It's a very interesting series and you can check that out. So those two things will get you started. But I mean, if you want a quick answer, pros and cons of PBR, it seems the pros are fantastic looking results. Cons are takes a lot more work. Um, so whether that's, you know, setting up shaders or whether that's setting up, you know, the texture maps that you're using, like we've got on Polygon, um, it looks great when it's finished, but it's quicker to get there with other methods is my understanding. All right. Any tips for starting a meetup group? What should we do once we meet up? Says Elaine. Alan? Alien. A-L-I, whatever. Sorry, no, your name is important, but I, I, we've got to get on with the question. Any tips for starting a meetup group? All right, so I run a meetup group in Brisbane, and uh, which is my hometown, well, where I'm living. Um, and essentially, we just, we, we've tried a few things this year, so I'll give you a few tips. Um, show and tell seems to work really well, um, which is basically you invite people to bring their, their work on a laptop or USB stick, and then show it on a projector in front of everybody and go, this is what I've been working on since we last spoke. And that's really fun. Um, another one is you could present your Blender problem. So you could you could ask people, bring along a problem. So if you're working in Blender during the month and you hit a roadblock, you don't know where to go, bring along that to the, uh, what was I saying? Bring, yeah, bring present that to the group and we'll work out a solution to it. So we've had, we've done that as well, where people have, usually during show and tell, they'll be like, I've worked on this spaceship and the mapping doesn't work here. It's broken for some reason. And then somebody will go, oh, you got to click that button. So it's a really good, good idea. You know, if you, if you prefer like face-to-face contact and getting quick answers to problems, that can be fun. Um, 
you could also present a challenge like uh, for for the month. I, I present. I, I recommend, by the way, a monthly meetup is good. Anything more frequent than that, and it just people start dodging them. You know, <laughs> I think like you don't want to meet up like every week. Like nobody's gonna unless it's you're just a you know band of brothers, inseparable friends. Um, but yeah, like a month, a month is fine. Um, yeah, so do something during the month, like a challenge, like learn sculpting, and then everybody comes back with their sculpts. You could do that. But really, it comes down to just giving people time to talk. Um, so you don't want to be the, the, the you know, you can be the, the group facilitator, and that is definitely, definitely important. You have to have somebody there to facilitate the discussion. And, you know, if if somebody is presenting for too long a time, and going, you know, because that, that can happen, you know, you'll have somebody that will just keep presenting. And if you don't stop them, they'll go for half an hour or something like that. And it's not, it's not like they're being rude. They just don't, you often don't realize time going past when you're, when you're actually presenting your stuff. So it helps have somebody there to go, all right, how many people are showing that? So I, that's why I go, put up your hands if you're going to show something this, this, this month, a bunch of people put up their hands and I go, okay, there's six of us. We've got an hour. So that means everyone has 10 minutes. So if you could wrap it up within seven minutes, that will leave the next person enough time, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's, you know, essentially you just want to let people talk, give people the opportunity to talk because not everybody is that loud mouthed <laughs> like myself. I don't know. Not everybody is, is um, outspoken enough to contribute to conversations. They want to contribute but they're more shy, they're more reserved, introverted, that buzzword. Um, so you have to just give them the platform to do that and say, so, all right, so next person, you know, and then the next person will go up and talk. Just just give people a chance to talk and I think people will, uh, will enjoy it, hopefully. All right. Next question. Thoughts on using references and whether to make them yourself or is it okay to rely on others if you can't draw? Absolutely, you can rely on others. By reference, I'm assuming you're talking about, like, reference. <laughs> in that, say you're making a horse, uh, I don't know, you're sculpting a horse or something, you would definitely get a photo reference off online. You would take a bunch of photos online, you know, off Google Images or whatever, and just use that. Definitely. You don't need to be able to draw it yourself. Um, I think, yeah. You don't need to. Um, if that's what you mean by reference, uh, yeah, re- re- that, that's bread and butter for artists. You, they, they say, I don't know, this is an old quote, I keep repeating, I don't know who said it, but you can, you can guess the quality of an artist's work by the size of their reference folder. Um, you should just be, I, look at reference for absolutely everything. Um, I've said in the past, I mean, if you're making a door, you might think you know what a door looks like, right? No, look look up photos online. There's a whole varieties of doors. There's hinges, weird looking handles. Just look at just I just Google it. I mean, if I've got Blender open and I'm making stuff, I just have Google Images open. I just type in whatever it is I'm making and just uh, just browse through it. So absolutely, make full use of the internet to figure stuff out. All right, next question, Ricky Purnell, Blender Nation had a product design tutorial which used which relied heavily on Boleyn mods. Can you discuss this method versus physical modeling? Uh, I have a love-hate, well, I actually just hate, (laughs) I just have a hate relationship with Boleyn. Um, But that's probably because I started Blender, you know, 10 years ago where it was horrible, 
Um, and I, I assume it's gotten a lot better now. But essentially back in the old day, in the old days, uh, if you used the bowling, so you had a cube and then you smashed it together with a sphere and then you did a bowling operation to make one subtract away from the other, um, well, it would just come out with a whole bunch of horrible, horrible looking geometry. Just horrendous. Um, just even if, if it should, like, even if you put one cube in, in like next to the other, like two cubes, like it should be able to figure out how to do that pretty cleanly. No, it would still do a horrible, horrible job. So I assume it's gotten a lot better because I know there's, I've seen stuff online about boleans, this and that, and they've improved this or whatever, B-mesh. So I think it's probably gotten a lot better, but I think you probably still have to do retopology, which is, yeah, basically just going over it at the end and making it clean again from from the side, which is what you do with uh, with sculpting. You do the sculpt, you rough out your idea, and then you actually clean up the mesh. So in that regard, I think that's uh, that's totally a viable way to do things. Um, so instead of you know, if you wanted to model some weird abstract looking building, it would be far easier to probably do it with bow lanes than to try and visualize it yourself you know, this, I'll extrude this part and this part. So once you've got the broad idea of it laid out, then you could clean it up with retopology. That's what I'd imagine you'd have to do. But maybe it's so good you don't even need to do retopology. All right, next question. Not a lot of tutorials for Lux Render. Shame. It's a really, really well-developed renderer. Why is this? Joseph Charles wants to know. Uh, you know, that's a good question. I think, personally, it's that most people, myself included, don't know the advantages that Lux Render has over Cycles. I'm sure there's plenty, but we just don't know it. And because Cycles is built into Blender, it's so much easier than using a third-party uh, rendering engine. So, yeah, back in the day before Cycles was out, like Lux Render was looking good, looking great. Now, it seems that you can do almost everything that you can do with Lux Render, you can do with Cycles. I'm sure that there are a lot of reasons why, yeah, Lux Render is better. And the renders do look different. I'm not going to deny that. Like, you can look at it and go, like, hmm, something special about that. <laughs> That's something I've been meaning to get to so many times. Like, look at, like, a V-Ray or a Corona render. Oh, those renders just look delicious. They just... Ah, they look amazing. And it's like one of those things where it's like, if you did this same render in cycles, it's just not going to work. Like, it's just not going to look as real as how this looks. Like Maxwell Renderer. You look at those renders, it's like, something special going on here. It's probably all that PBR stuff, all that, that shading. They probably do that off the bat, whereas in cycles, you probably have to fiddle around with too many nodes. Nobody can be bothered doing it. All right, let's... Uh, yeah, so that, that that's why I think that is. I agree. It's a really well-developed renderer. Somebody should do some tutorials on it. Not me, um, but somebody should. Yeah, I, I mean, that's it. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, why w w lay out the features? Why is Lux Render so much better than Cycles? If somebody did that, I'm sure a lot of people would start questioning. Like, whoa, 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 let's take a look at Lux Render. This seems good. Like, well, wait a minute. You mean it's actually physically accurate or... It's, uh, it, you mean it's twice as fast as Cycles? You mean it's XYZ? If you did a compelling video basically selling Lux Render, I mean, sure, people would be, would be wrapped by it. But anyway, 
Question from Ethan Hansen for Gleb. <laughs> uh, sorry, we couldn't answer this on the podcast. Are you planning to physically publish your open lighting book or is it going to stay digital? I don't know why I read that out because I can't answer it, but I would assume not. Uh, and finally, finally, last question, which we'll leave it on. What books would you recommend for artists other than the ones in the list on your site? Um, gosh, you know, I, uh, I wasn't going to answer this question because I thought that I had actually, I figured that everything on my site, the, the books that I all recommend, they're already on. If you've already read all of them, congrats to you, sir. Um, but yeah, there's, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, there's a list on Blender Guru, um, books. I put it out at the start of this year, books that I recommend every artist reads. So I'll see if there's, I'm just going through my Kindle right now. I'll see if there's any other new books that I've started reading. Uh, let's see. Oh, I started reading Stephen King's Bazaar of Bad Dreams, which is like a series of short stories by Stephen King. And I got, I read the first one, pretty excited about the rest. They're, it's like horror stories. Um, it's like really good. It's not good to read before bedtime, though. I'll tell you that much. Creativity Inc. I don't know if I mentioned that. That's a great book by Ed Catmull of Pixar. Like, if you want to open up your animation studio or whatever, like, I can't think of a better book for you to read. Um, even, But even as a sole artist that's just making your own stuff, there's so much good stuff in there about you know, how to, how to question what it is that you do and get people around you that, you know, like you just, you produce something and it, it, it debunks the whole myth that, you know, they, Pixar can just consistently just put out amazing stuff and they're somehow, they've got this gene, this creativity gene that gives them the edge. It's, it's nothing. It's just the same process. You make stuff and it's horrible. And then you just through revision after revision after revision and changing things and erasing whole parts of the movie you just work out making it better so um yeah yeah there you go all right um so that's a great book design with the mighty mind so don't make me think i'm just trying to see if there's any new ones in here elon musk Ah, that's a great book a really insightful book anybody who wants to become a business owner that Elon Musk one's a great one. This is a thrilling podcast, isn't it? Me just reading a uh, Kindle list. The Happiness Advantage I mentioned in the article that I was reading that at the time, and I finished it. It's fantastic. I think I've read it twice now. And the uh, the follow-up book, The Actionable Strategies, is it? The Next Steps. Anyway, it's by the same the same guy. And that's, a, that's another great book there as well. Um, uh, uh, uh. No, no, not that I can see. I mean, recently I've just started reading those art books for painting, and that's really all that I've uh, all that I've really started reading. Oh, predictably irrational. Again, these aren't for artists. That's an interesting book. Talks about why we're all irrational, and even the most logical person just does make stupid decisions um, irrationally in the heat of the moment. There's some interesting stuff on uh, on Amazon. Power of habit. Rework, Douglas Adams. Douglas Adams is great, isn't he? The Hitchhiker's Guide, Restaurant at the End of the Universe. Um, trust me, I'm lying. Nah. Nah, none of these. Still Like an Artist, if you haven't read that. That's a great book. If you just want your creativity juices to be flowing, 
Steal Like an Artist. That's a great book. Just opens up the world to you like, oh, oh, I am allowed to get inspired by other people. I don't have to feel like I'm making some cardinal sin. So those are the books I recommend. Uh, they're all just basically the ones on that list. I haven't really read any new ones for um, for artists yet. I mean, most of them are the ones I just spoke with with Gleb. So uh, all those books, by the way, are in the podcast show notes. So if you go to blenderguru.com and click on this podcast with Gleb Alexandrov, I'll have everything in there, and there is a bunch of links um, that Renante painfully listen to the whole thing and then put down every link there. So that's great. Anyways, guys, that concludes this podcast. Thank you all for listening. Oh, oh, one small note I'm going to leave here on. Um, I will be continuing podcasts from now on, but I won't be doing them monthly. I'll be doing them as is needed because I feel like, I feel like uh, there's... Mm, Again, it does subtract from tutorial making. And I really feel that overall, that's where most people are getting... That, that's where most people like the content on Blender Guru. So we will be doing podcasts. Of course, you'll see podcasts next year, but they won't be out monthly. They'll be out when a guest arrives and they, you know, it's great to have them talk. So they will be, they will be around, but they won't be monthly anymore. Um, hope that's okay with everybody. But that's all from me, guys. Um, if you still have, you can still send in your questions. Hashtag BGPod. Um, but yeah. All right. That's it, guys. Thank you all for listening. See you next time. Bye.